We left you hanging with Eamon hanging over a pit of vipers in the year 161. The same year, King Daron I, the young dragon, was killed and Eamon captured alongside him. Last we saw, he was more concerned with the life of the new King Baelor than his own, but from the looks of things where we left off, Baelor felt the same way in reverse and was more than willing to brave those vipers to save the famous dragon knight who would be about age 25 at this time. Today, we discuss the remainder of Prince Aemon's life, how he's remembered, what impact that has on those who came after. In other words, his legend, all the things that led to him becoming a legend in the latter half of his life, contests with his brother, affection for his sister, and all the mysteries in between. That and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome, my friends. We're back with another one, an episode that was so big that we had to split it into two. It happens from time to time. That's a good sign when the story is so deep and rich that we have that much to talk about. Sean, welcome back. What you got in the in your beverage cup today? Your beverage cup today, that's kind of a <laughs> repetitive, isn't it? <laughs> and this is a new bang flavor, new to me anyway, Guava pear. Guava pear. Well, that's yeah. That's I don't think that is repetitive either. either. You can nope. be drinking out of a beverage bowl. A beverage bowl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I was thinking the the cup part was repetitive, but no, there's other types of cups too. Like, yeah, the ones mm. for measuring and skulls. <laughs> that's right. Women's garments. <laughs> oh man, I should drink out of the skull on an episode one time. Oh, if we do a golden yes. company episode again or anything yeah. related to them, or, or wildlands right. or umbers or, or something. Yeah, Blackmont, I guess. Blackmont, yeah. Not Prince Aemon, though. The, uh, I, mean, I don't think he would do that. The guy in the Night's Watch when they oh, had the revolt. yeah, was that Carl or yeah, Carl? That's it, Carl. Yeah. Gin Alley. Didn't he drink from someone's skull? He did, from Gior. Is it Mormons even? Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Silly man that he is. I love that dude's mm-hmm. acting, his, the way his eyes just go so dead. He was good in The Expanse, too, if y'all didn't see The Expanse. That's right. Good chance to plug The Expanse. Mm-hmm. And Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right. He was in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The Game of Thrones Sunny Connection has many tentacles. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Shout out to our good friend, Nina, good Queen Allie, lots of good in there, like her writing, which is very good. This week on her blog, a comparison of the Night of the Laughing Tree and the Night of Tears, lots of parallels. And you're like, you might be wondering who the Night of Tears is. You almost certainly know who the Night of the Laughing Tree. Well, (laughs) the idea of the Night of the Laughing Tree, you may not know the identity of the Night of the Laughing Tree, because that is an open question. Although we all have some 
guesses, I think, strong guesses. But the Night of the Tears, Night of Tears is a mystery night anecdote from today's episode. So if you do not know who the Night of Tears is, well, we shall be getting into it in the second half of today's episode. And then check out Nina's blog to see why the parallel is so good. We'll be touching on it briefly today as well, at least getting you started on that idea. Does the Night of Tears have a nemesis, gay man? <laughs> the Night of <laughs> Kleenexes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Night of Laughter, yeah. This episode was voted on by patrons. Next week is Trial by Theory. So now's the time. Start sending us your theories favorites of yours, whether you came up with them or not. It doesn't have to be your original theory, but that would be cool if it is. But just ones that you think are worthy of discussion. Keep in mind that a lot of them will be new to Sean entirely. So that's cool. Some that maybe you would want to get his reaction on. And a lot of them I've never weighed in on or Shay has never weighed in on. So that'll be a good chance for that. But no spoilers for Hot D. Anything goes in the Song of Ice and Fire as far as spoilers for that, but let's keep the hot D spoilers down for uh, Sean purposes. And we're going to be giving some stuff away. We're going to be giving away some shirts during that episode. Maybe some stickers as well, but definitely some shirts. We're, we're figuring that out. But yeah, so that'll be fun. A little giveaway stuff as well as the theory fun. As always, if today's episode ends and you want to stay immersed, we've got you covered with suggestions for topics related to this one at the end. Also at the end is the answer to this trivia question, which I will read you right now. Who did Jamie Lannister describe as half as big, but twice as mad as the mountain that rides? Yes, this person also had a nickname. Not as long as the mountain that rides, but few people do have a nickname that long. Let's talk about the rescue here. But first... I have to back up and point out that I made a small error last week. Luckily, that small error was right before this part, so we can correct it pretty easily. What we discussed was whether or not Eamon knew Baylor was on his walk. Well, he definitely knew Baylor was on his walk because when Baylor was walking down to Sunspear, Eamon was already in the cage. They'd already put him out there, so Baylor passed by him and was like, let him go. And they're like, nah. We're not going to let him go. He's like, let him go. Please let him go. And he's like, they're like, nah. And Eamon's like, just go, just go, go keep doing your walk. And he's like, okay, I'm going to come back for you though. The, the reason that's crucial is because when he came back, the peace deal had been a- agreed. And then the order had come to let him go. Then they had to let him go, but they still did their chicanery, which gets us to this point we're at now. So the only question was whether or not Eamon knew it was happening and if they lied to him, but apparently no question at all, he was there, which means he was in that cage in the sun for quite a while. It's worth noting that he still might have been in that cage or otherwise in some sort of imprisoned limbo for a long time for Baylor to even get from King's Landing to Dorne, yes. right? Like if you walked from King's Landing to Dorne, that still would have been a long time for Amon to not know what was going on. He may on. not have known until Baylor showed up. They may have told him if you're right. So there still yeah. may have been a long period of like two months or something before yeah. he knew. But anyway, but then he would have been like, what's going to happen when he comes back? What's going to happen when he walks there? And of course, the walk back is when it really got to a, a level of anxiety for a lot of people because they're like, well, what if Baylor dies right after this peace deal? And then the peace deal is gone. But of course, he didn't die on the way, got to the cage. And this time he's like, all right, I had to leave last time. This time I'm not walking away without you. And here we go with the quote. Let's see what happens. Baylor was bitten half a dozen times while crossing to the cage. And though he opened it, 
He nearly collapsed before the Dragon Knight was able to thrust open the door and pull his cousin from the pit. The Wills are said to have laid wagers as Prince Aemon struggled to climb out of the cage with Baylor flung across his back. And perhaps it was their cruelty that spurred him to climb to the top of the cage and leap to safety. Prince Aemon carried Baylor halfway down the boneway before a village septon in the Dornish Mountains gave him clothing and an ass on which to carry the comatose king. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Here's some ass. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you did well. Here's some ass. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I think he had some ass already. The like. open question is, did Eamon okay. ever get any ass? Okay. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's pull it together here. Stop thinking about ass. <laughs> Eventually, Amon reached the watchtowers of the Dondarians and then was conducted to Blackhaven, where the local maester cared for the king as best as he could before sending them on to Storm's End for further treatment. And all the while, it is said, Baylor was wasting away, still lost to the world. And all the while, it is said, Ashea was laughing away. <laughs> I'm just going to still think about this. I, I just imagine like San Rixian here drawing like an ass with Baylor just like lovingly nestled between its cheeks, unconscious as it meanders northwards out of the desert. Mm -hmm. Okay, we did it. We made it through made that it through one. This, that was probably about as tough as it was for Eamon <laughs> to get through. He he really struggled. So there's actually some interesting things here. It sounds like an action scene, you know, and it is, but there's a, some interesting like character stuff within this short moment. One thing is just, Eamon's intensity and his drive to continue and his hardcore ability to maintain his stamina throughout this. And of course, Baylor's bravery as well. And maybe foolishness throwing away his, potentially throwing away the peace deal that he just worked so hard to get that so many lives depend on. However, I shall speak not ill of Baylor and his dedication to peace and bravery. And I really like the way this is written, that it says perhaps it was their cruelty that spurred him to climb to the top of the cage and leap to safety. Because one thing, it's like, I do struggle sort of to imagine how this could have happened, like how he could have done this. Maybe he shook the cage and got a little momentum or something to get it moving back and forth, and that enabled it. But regardless of how, I don't, it's not really important to figure out how logistically it was possible. I like the idea that cruelty spurred him on, because that's like his life. Like his brother is really cruel <laughs> and he's always under his shadow. And we wonder maybe that's just a metaphor or a, a big part of what's been fueling him throughout his life is he responds to cruelty by doing the opposite, by just leaping into action. In this case, pretty literally leaping by doing what's necessary to save the person that's the target of the cruelty. And, you know, in day to day life, that was his sister. Here it's, much more dramatic and violent and memorable, but it's a similar kind of energy, just to people picking on someone that can't do anything about it. it and they're a good per like a good person being picked on by like tough, strong guys who are just laughing at them. It's like he's a conduit for cosmic karma. Oh. Like the more villain he is, the more heroic he needs to yeah. be. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Like a yeah, like a, a lens for goodness. <laughs> for like you <laughs> you filter cruelty and he will Flip it into goodness. Yeah, I like that. That's great, Sean. Yeah. He's a crystal. <laughs> <laughs> to repeat what we said last time, a little bit of remind ourselves rather that, yeah, they really, the Prince of Sunspear would not have wanted anything bad to happen to Baylor after that, especially after the marriage arrangement was made. He did arrange Daron 
uh, ironically, another Daron. The Daron invaded them. And then they're going to marry the second Daron to fix all that up. We, of course, get the laughter and the Wills doing their thing. And we talk about the history there. But also, just how anxious Eamon must have been. I mean, that's a long walk or <laughs> long traversal on the ass there to get to this village. It couldn't have been going quickly. Asses aren't known for their speed. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> he must have just been really worried that any second now the king would die. And you're the king's guard. Probably not Lord Commander yet. I'm thinking this incident was part of what got him promoted. I'm guessing the Lord Commander died in that ambush. I mean, there were like three of them were killed. Another one surrendered. The one who surrendered probably wasn't Lord Commander. Eamon wasn't the Lord Commander. So that's five right there. There's only two other Kingsguard. The odds that the Lord Commander of all the Kingsguard wasn't there at this parlay is pretty unlikely. Maybe he was stabbed in the back by Amon yeah. so that he could move up the ranks. <laughs> like when no one's looking, <laughs> massive like, plan. I'm a good guy. But when I'm not, when they're not looking, <laughs> I stab people in the back. Yeah, and Nina points out the wills were where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, there. Yeah, she didn't say that. She, she used the word willing, which so we both got a pun in there. That they're still willing to do this, to take this risk, despite being ordered to release Eamon and to not harm Baylor. Like, well, we didn't harm Baylor. He walked into that pit of his own accord. They really, the lawyers would really argue over this one if it went to court, right? Well, technically, we didn't, you know, no one pushed him in the pit. We didn't make him go in. No one, you know, it wasn't. So they would have their way to argue that they didn't do it. And of course, they have their mountain castle that's not the easiest thing to punish them for things that they do. It's like Darkstar. Imagine how hard it, you know, Darkstar went against the orders and performed treason. But now Doran Martell's like, well, we got to get him for that. But he recognizes that it will be very difficult to punish Darkstar for what he did because of his mountain castle. And the Wills have a similar situation. So they knew they had a little leeway to, to pull a fast one here. But they would have been totally fine if war had started back up again because of it, because that's just the type of people they are. They're a marcher house. War is what they know well. They don't like peace with these Stormlanders and with the Targaryens. And Keep in mind, arrogant few nobles might be fine with war. Good point. A lot of that. But the average person conscripted into the army that gets killed is not so fine with That's it. That's true. You know? Some of them would probably still be into it because they're bought into it. But you're right. A lot of them would be like, this again? Come on. I want to move, man. Can I go live somewhere else? No, actually, you probably can't. It's hard to move. <laughs> I think we talked about it at least a little bit. I think it's worth reiterating, though, what a swing it is for them to have Baylor as king versus someone else. Yeah, just any, almost like, anyone else, yeah. This guy's like a pacifist trying to make peace. Almost any of the others are plotting to attack you, even if they don't actively do it. They're trying to find a way, right? They're definitely not trying to get peace on the borders or set up trade, trying to figure out if or when they can attack. Where Baylor is actively, specifically trying to be peaceful. Maybe a few warmongers, you know, won't care or recognize that, but I feel like wiser hearts, wiser heads or whatever should see the value in this. It's, a, it's such a swing, it's especially too, because if they were to kill him, there's just no way the next person could even be passive or p patient about attacking Culture back. Maybe the second king yeah. in like one year or something. Yeah, <laughs> like totally right. They would that have to take response. action. Even if it was borderline suicidal, they would just have to do it. Yeah, so they would blame him. Yeah, because that's because at this point, Baylor is becoming popular. Like the, this is one of the commons would call for war which is ironic yeah. given what Baylor stood for. 
But yeah. like Baylor Black from heaven, he's like, no, you guys didn't understand a single thing I said. Damn it. I mean, darn it. This is kind of going back to last week when the first engagement with Dorn started. It would have been the first real violence war that Amon would have seen, hmm. right? Like I, it's probably yeah. Sometimes glossed over, especially you might have in fought this some world. bandits maybe, or something, you know. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah, but no war. Yeah, and maybe in this world, people are more used to death. They're more cold-hearted or whatever. But but anyway, I just feel like there probably would have been a shift in Amon as a person having actually killed someone, having mm-hmm. had friends die in front of yeah. him, you know, the, the reality of war and violence. I can't detect necessarily through what we know that there was a change in him, but I got to imagine there was. Yeah, he's know? just too conscientious of a person. He's not, he's not, he's willing to do violence, but he's not one of those guys that like aims for it, wants to fight, you know, or maybe he likes fighting, but yeah. not killing, you know, like, like an Iron yeah, Emmett yeah. who enjoys sword, sword play, doesn't actually enjoy killing, but just involves, you know, likes competition, likes the the joy of maxing yeah. out and, and sweating and, and doing everything you can. And some people might feel, exercise. you know, this obligation to protect the king yes. or the realm. But protecting, serving and protecting is different from going out and warring against someone else. It's mm-hmm. a, another level Unprovoked of war, yeah. where the violence is coming from. Yeah, You would think that there may have been some marketing <laughs> like free, uh, yeah like propaganda fre- or, like a fresh wave of issues with dorn like you know those dornish people you know what i was thinking about what's wrong with them you know just like things to say <laughs> to get people fired up yeah the kind of stuff you would see the newspapers would be printing if there were newspapers another angle to this along what you said sean about the determination and, and kings dying like this would have been the third if Baylor dies would have been the third king that died since he joined the king's guard and again he's only 25 now no one's going to blame him for Aegon III, who died of tuberculosis. But Daron dying into an ambush in the same realm, you know, pretty far away from where the ambush probably happened. But still, it happened, and it wasn't that long ago. So while Baylor was full of faith and poison, Aemon was full of adrenaline. And really, it also just shows the thing about Baylor. We'll come and talk about him some more in his own episode. Like, was he crazy? Because of his walk, or was he crazy already? Because like he really apparently just believed the Vipers wouldn't fight him, which is just yeah. There's that's just nuts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's on your mind there, man? <laughs> like those are those Vipers are real. Like he thought the the singers say the Vipers didn't bite him at all, but of course, as the quote says, no, they did. <laughs> he might have had a vision. I just want to point out vision, we have to yeah, think about that. Visions. Even if even, he might have even not so much believe they won't bite me, but that I know I won't die to them. I know I'm not going to die because, because I, I had a vision of myself doing some other thing. Right. However the bad this might seem, I, I have to go through this and I have this confidence, this faith that I won't die. It makes him super interesting in that regard because we know visions are a thing of the Targaryens and dreams, but this is a guy who was just like so anti like draconic stuff. He was so into the seven. So his visions would maybe be filtered through that lens or. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. He fasted a lot during his reign, which that causes visions in some people and he may have that may have just inflamed the whole thing in a in a in a good way or a more dreamy way. Nian also points out how similar some of this is, at least in terms of how dramatic and epic it is, not necessarily in terms of how it went down, but the rescue of Ares from Duskendale by Barristan Selmy, which, you know, Eamon Barristan wasn't hanging in a cage <laughs> all that time. And but it is 
kind of unbelievable. And in terms of how badass it was, you know, like, wow, that's a really amazing, like the songs sound like it's exaggerating it. But like Yandel says that the songs don't need to exaggerate because it's, it is that impressive without embellishment. You know, you don't need to add a thing to it because it's our, like, dude already scaled the walls of a fort by himself, got into the dungeon and carried the king out on a horse, like by himself. Like yeah. that's incredible. I, mean, I think that's tougher <laughs> than the hanging in a cage thing, right? Like, Probably. <laughs> cause even if he was hanging in a cage, there's still like, everyone was like, go ahead. If you can figure it out, it's more like he had to figure out a, a, a riddle or something yeah. rather than like actually face all the guards and walls, you know, under the threat of danger the whole way. So. Yeah. We have an episode on Duskendale. So the full, a very full telling of it is there. This, this defiance of Duskendale with Ares and, and Barristan. One funny thing, just an anecdote from that is Tywin was going to storm the city and they were like, was, was done with this negotiation and like, well, they're just going to kill the king. And he's like, Oh, well, <laughs> it's Ares. Like he didn't say that, but they're like, we got Rhaegar <laughs> right here. Y'all like think of the, think of the good side here. And Barristan's like, let me get a, Give me a chance to go rescue him. And Tywin's like, can't say no to this guy, but what are the odds he actually yeah. succeeds? You know, like, and yeah. then Tywin is like, are you kidding me? This dude succeeded? God, he really did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so that might be what's going on here. The Wills are like, he really, like, we didn't expect Eamon to do, like, we thought this was going to fail. Like, oh, well. <laughs> they probably just kept laughing anyway. They're like, ah, ha, ha, we're... Wow, how did he do that? They might have just literally been impressed and entertained. Yeah, you know? yeah, they were laughing. Okay, were like, good, wow, good job. Good I guess show. you deserve it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Dragon Knight's all right. That's why we didn't cut his hands and feet off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Baylor took six months to recover. Presumably, Viserys, Aemon, and Aegon's dad, and Nerys' dad was still ruling his hand, which. Well, he was still ruling his hand. He presumably didn't really skip a beat much because he was already doing all the work <laughs> while Baylor was on his walk. So this just extended that interim. And frankly, throughout most of Baylor's reign, Viserys did most of the day-to-day -day stuff anyway and had done most of the day-to-day -day stuff during Daron the first reign and had done most of the day-to-day -day stuff during his brother Aegon the third's reign. So he was really used to this. And the kingdom was probably better for it in a lot of ways. And but I really think this is a bonding opportunity. You got a pious, dedicated Kingsguard who's a member of Baylor's family, right? They're cousins. And you've got B Baylor recovering and Eamon's just probably anxious about whether he's going to survive and make it and I, I think they would this will be a bonding experience experience experiment. Well, that too. <laughs> they're they're in a village in the middle of nowhere, I guess, or, or at Storm's End eventually for part of the time and just months of just hanging out and he's recovering. They would talk about the gods and faith and stuff. I would think they got close. What do you think, Sean? Is that, you know, doesn't seem like a stretch at all, does it? No, for sure. I mean, I, I like if this was like a series, you know, if they made a show or a movie out of this, to me, it'd be, in fact, I would be okay with just that, just like a very cinematic, dramatic epic of him making his trek on foot and maybe like little episodic encounters along the way oh, and coming yeah. back and then conversations with him, with the two of them. No action needed. You know, the only action is jumping in the tower, jump, jumping out of the cage or whatever. I would love just, I don't know, like a very character-driven yeah. short film of that whole episode. You it know? works so well for like holy stuff because it's in a desert. Like it's already what we associate in the modern world with a lot of religious traditions coming out of the desert. Like a lot of the major ones associate with, with deserts and regions like that. It's kind of fitting I mean, to like our it, understanding. And a, 
a lot of other, I don't know, mythological stories include someone traveling through the desert, yeah. searching their inner soul or whatever. I mean, yeah, totally. Jesus, uh, on and on with the yeah. characters who've gone through this scenario and how interesting those stories are. So I think George was probably thinking of that when he wrote this. I mean, it already fits into his world, Dorne being what it is, having the deserts. You got to think that Baylor has not really had a chance to reign yet. Like he became king and immediately set about resolving the storm situation, took his shoes off, started walking. Right. By the way, that's another thing about this. He walked into that pit of vipers without shoes. That doesn't really add that much crazy to the list. It's already crazy. It's like, that's only slightly crazier. <laughs> I guess if you really put it together, it's like, oh, he didn't have shoes. Oh my God. And like he walked for like six months without shoes. His feet were probably leather by then. Yeah. He's like, nah. My feet are too tough for these vipers to bite through. <laughs> I wonder if that's a way for the story to be exaggerated too. Like he didn't technically have shoes on, but he had some sort of binding, you oh, know, some yeah, sort of like cloth wrap wrapped or, up for yeah. some level of protection. Yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> M- maybe to help make it through the hot desert sand or rocky areas. But still, the vipers are going to bite through that or up on your knee or something. Yeah, they're going to bite your calf. Know, yeah, crazy. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> and not with God on your side. Yeah, not with God on your side. Eamon himself had been poisoned, too, if we recall. He had taken that poison arrow he had jumped in front of, so he knew what the experience was like. So this is yet another thing that he could, like, bond with Baylor. It's like, yeah, I know what it's like to be poisoned, cuz, you know, it's terrible. It sucks, man. I know, I know, I get it. And he was, and Baylor was more poisoned and way less strong of a man. Like, this is a frail dude compared to the big, strong dragon knight. I wonder how much they inspired each other. Yeah, I think a lot. I'm guessing a lot. Like, at the point that Amon gets to Baylor on the way down, he he's already traveled a long way, yeah. right? And probably was going to make it anyway, but there's probably a little extra drive. He's like, I have to survive. I have to go faster. Yeah. Like Amon's waiting in a cage right now. He, like, is this extra pressure on him? Point. And when he gets back, Amon is probably like, man, he really went that whole way and got back. Like, I have to save him. I can't let him have gone all this way for me and then not save him now myself. So like, I bet they both inspired and motivated each other to go beyond what they would have done. Yeah, like Eamon would be impressed with Baylor's dedication and how he managed to survive being such a small dude. And, and you know, he's not like him. And I was like, well, I'm big and strong. I can kind of understand how a person like me maybe could survive. But this dude's not no good with a sword. He's small. It's more impressive in a lot of ways. He doesn't have the the tool set yeah. <laughs> for survival like a dragon knight does. So yeah, that that is a different sort of bravery. Like kind of like how Brienne broke down the different types of bravery. Like it's not battle courage, but you know, he she says a woman's courage, which is you know whatever that means in, in that context. She had a strong point behind that. It's a little similar here. You know, I don't know if you need to call it woman's courage. I don't know if you attach gender to it, but uh, in that some world, kind of courage. Might. That, yeah, no, I get why they do it. It's it fits yeah. the setting, but if we're trying to put a modern lens on it it's not necessary to put gender on it it doesn't sound the best coming from us right now but within this world like yeah sansa lives a different life than rob yeah you oh, know? definitely yeah but it doesn't mean there's no courage required in, in that life yeah, and brian understands it brian has seen kind of i don't know i want to say both sides of the world but there's more than two sides of the world but but both sides of the, the roles of how courage can play out yeah Absolutely. And so this is maybe a similar moment here where they're reflecting and respecting each other's version of courage and all the ways that can take. And that would be something to really discuss in the the dawn of a new era. You've got a new king who's got to decide how he wants to rule. And that's kind of where I was going when we got a little sidetracked with, well, with a good story, a good thing to talk about. But what I wanted to get at was he doesn't yet know what kind of king he's going to be. He probably didn't grow up thinking he was going to be king. He was the second son of 
very martial capable young Targaryen prince. It looked like Daron the Young Dragon would have kids one day. And yeah, so Baylor probably didn't see this coming unless he dreamt of it. That aside is possible. There's always that. So he's out here thinking about how he wants to rule and maybe making plans while he's recovering. And Eamon's right there, a guy who's maybe of like mind as him. And maybe Eamon was helping him make some decisions about how he would want to rule or at least giving him ideas, at least giving him someone to look up to and being like, we want more. I want the realm to produce more people like you. Eamon, and Eamon's like, well, I want the realm to produce more people like you, <laughs> Baylor, you know, and some of that was good. Most of it was good, probably. On the other hand, some of it wasn't. Some of it definitely wasn't because Baylor made a lot of decisions that weren't thought through, that maybe that he had the goodness in his mind, but couldn't see from an engineering perspective how it would actually work. <laughs> you know, like if you make this decision, it's going to cause more violence. So I said, like, yes, but if we stop using ravens for carrying messages and use only white birds, then everyone's, well, why do you want to do this? Well, because the blackbirds are evil. It's like they're symbols of the old gods and they have all their messages. Like, <laughs> yeah, but the white birds don't know how to carry messages. They just literally can't do that. <laughs> I mean, you can't just make them do that. Like you can't just switch that. When you want to paint the ravens white. I mean, yeah, this is just, see, this is, that's just <laughs> lunacy, right? <laughs> On the other hand, you wonder if it, it's coming from a place of, truth like yeah those messengers used to those ravens used to speak and it's the old it is the old gods that's powering that sort of and maybe that creeped him out and thought that you know that's blasphemous or i don't know still a bad idea to just do away with the ravens and try to replace them with the white ravens but maybe there was really maybe it's more to it than him just thinking oh this is blasphemous you know there may have been a real vision behind all that like even if the birds really were evil like, so far, they're just carrying our messages. Yeah. So let's just, you know, maybe we need to get rid of them, but let's get a better system in place first, rather than white ravens that just won't work at all. Like, so, <laughs> let's get the Pony Express going or something, you know? Are we even sure the birds are real? <laughs> Good point. Now, with, with someone like Baylor, you can't be sure what's real and what isn't. This guy seeing things all over the place. Now, you're, and you're wondering what Amos is thinking. Is Amos just polite? Like... Yes, your grace, that's a great idea. Or if he's actually trying to talk some sense into him or if he's all for it, like maybe Eamon's a little crazy too. We don't know for sure. Like at the end of this episode, I'm gonna ask the question, did we fall for him too? Did we fall for his legend? Are we like exaggerating the deeds in the same way that Sansa and Bran, did we fall for it too? Is this, should we unpack this a little more and think, well, maybe some of this is exaggerated. I don't know, I don't know, maybe. Probably not. I lean towards this being, a lot of it being accurate, him really being this amazing. But if it's anything we've learned from the way George writes, it's a lot of times even the good stories are exaggerated. The bad stories can be exaggerated. All the stories can be exaggerated. Also, you can do a lot of amazing and good things and also do a lot of bad things or be a bad person Absolutely. while doing, quote unquote, amazing things. Like, what did Eamon think of like, well, one of the first things that happened when Baylor gets back to King's Landing is he locks up his sisters in the Maiden Vault, his three sisters, that one of whom he had been married to. And he's like, well, we never consummated it. And he made the Septon undo it. He becomes unmarried and has no plans on getting married or having children, which, of course, in a monarchy is problematic. But Eamon may have been all for it. He may have been supportive of this. He may have been like, yeah, like especially seeing how his sister was treated by their brother. He may have been like, yeah, this is good. But he may, I, I, this is a tough one. I don't know what, he, he may have been completely against 
locking his cousins up like that. That's like, well, this isn't the solution. Like, why, why is it their fault? He might have been really torn too. Like he might have even been really against it or frustrated or confused by it, but also he just saved my life. I don't know like how much I can push him around. Like he's, he knows something. He walked across the desert with no shoes. He survived the snake bikes. He saved my life. Like what if he believes in his vision? What if he does claim it's based on visions and Eamon's like, well, who am I to question these visions that came from the gods? Mm -hmm. It seems wrong, but it's all part of God's plan. That kind of attitude, you know, you can see him taking that. Hmm. Eamon could have had visions too. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. You might you might be right. We don't we we honestly haven't asked that question, but there's no reason to discard that idea on the top. Like, yeah, it's absolutely possible. Maybe he just doesn't didn't speak about it, or maybe it just isn't recorded. By the way, as well. Yeah, I don't I've I don't want to just assume everyone had visions all the time, but it's a new thing to consider who might have. And so I have to at least pause on it for each person that I haven't thought about before. Does that make sense? Yes, you know? yes. That's one thing that's tricky about this is when we're dealing with this era, there's so many interesting characters and we're missing some large chunks of their personality and how what they thought of certain people is we're, yeah... We're, we're or how to, to reconcile things that seem conflicted in certain ways. Yeah, like yeah. we just don't know... We guess that Eamon and Baylor had a lot in common. They saw a lot of things eye to eye, but there's certain these decisions that it's hard to say whether Eamon would have agreed or just kept his mouth shut or actually spoken up because he did speak up against his brother sometimes. It's clear he's willing to do that even if it's not necessarily something he would have done to Baylor specifically, whereas he definitely did it to his brother. Talk about Nerys, speaking of his sister, this is another thing that Eamon might have been very grateful to King Baylor for which is the way Nerys was treated versus the way Nerys was treated pretty much under all the other kings, which is that she has st- stillborn twins in the first year of Baylor's reign. And Nerys was frail. Like the first time she had a child, which was Daron back in 153, so eight years prior, the maester said, she's too frail. She shouldn't have any more kids. And Nerys is like, hey, I've done my duty to you as wife. Let's just be brother and sister from now on. And Aegon, a- to be clear. And Aegon's yeah. like, we are living as brother and sister because they're Targaryens, mm-hmm. like real snotty response there. So he wanted to keep sleeping with her, even though he openly didn't like it. He didn't like sleeping with her because she was pious and presumably wasn't into it. Go figure, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> like with him, you know. And it's not like, he, I mean, he was having sex with other people. Yeah, he's sleeping around. So he didn't, it's I mean, not like he was like, couldn't have sex if it wasn't with her, you know, which isn't, which also isn't even a good reason. But it wasn't even that. He was sleeping around all over the place, didn't even like sleeping with Nerys, but still wanted to like have that power over her. No wonder Aemon didn't like his brother. No wonder most people didn't like Aegon. But Baylor, with Baylor in charge, things were a little different. Baylor's, as usual, didn't have a strong response to the thing. He didn't punish anyone. Or he just saw this as a the God's will. So he fasted in response to these deaths, which he did that a lot. He fasted in response to a lot of tragedies. And just in in general. <laughs> he just fasted. That was his thing. He fasted. And so, of course, Eamon would, would want to grieve with her and comfort her and help her out and get through this, which would have been terrible. I mean, losing a child is terrible. This was two children at the same time. I mean, that's it's hard to fathom. But, of course, Aegon would not have been. He would have just been horrible. He probably was like, yeah, I'm going to have more. Just try again. You know, I'm going to have more kids with you. So Baylor stepped it. He did do something. It was a little Aikido move here. He sent Aegon to Bravos on a diplomatic mission. Why him? Why Prince Aegon? To get rid of him. He obviously wasn't the right man for the job. <laughs> of course, what does he do? He starts an affair with the Black Pearl and has 
one to three children with her. And this affair lasts up to 10 years, which might mean Aegon spent a lot of time in Bravos. He may have spent significant time there, which would have been a real relief for Nerys and Aemon. This brings me back to what I started this point with. Another thing for Aemon to be like, whatever Baylor wants. I will do whatever he wants because he's just done so much for things that I care about. Even if I disagree with him on these other things, he's done so much for me personally. And yeah, that bond would be strong. And Eamon's just a duty first kind of guy anyway, as we've seen. Like, even though we have questions about his personality, pretty hard to argue against that, that he isn't a duty first kind of guy. This is where duty and love come together. It's his duty to be loving and caring to his sister in this time of grief. And the absence of Aegon would be a relief, helping them grieve without interference. So it might have been Nerys' best stretch of life when her brother was gone, which is ironic because she just lost children. But this is a 10-year stretch here, so maybe after the grieving was over, I mean, she would probably never be fully done with that, that grief, but at a certain point she would be maybe okay again. But at least for once, one of the kings was taking an interest in her, caring about her welfare. And that would have been nice for a change. Daron probably didn't care about her much at all. Aegon III didn't really care about hardly anyone. He was just kind of mopey and depressed. And he was a pretty decent king, but he was he's not, not a guy to expect sympathy from. He wasn't really didn't really have that kind of emotional energy. He didn't have that capacity in him. He was too, too traumatized, I suppose. Aemon, however, would have been there for her. And that's all the more reason that he would have to be there for her, because who else would be? So this is kind of like a, I don't know, like a god squad you have forming here. You have a bunch of pious people that are in control here. You have Baylor, king. You have Nerys, the princess, later queen, who's very pious. Aemon's very pious. And you presumably have young Daron, who is Aegon's son, who is now betrothed to Mariah Martell after the walk. And he's young at this point. He's eight in the year 161, but he's coming of age during Baylor's reign, and he really took after Baylor. He's part of the reason he never got along with his father, Aegon the Unworthy, because he's more like Baylor or Aemon. More like Baylor, because he's not martial. He's not a fighter. So more like Baylor than Aemon, but didn't want his kids to marry each other. Was big on the seven. His nickname ended up being Daron the Good. So you can kind of see where that's going. But he's also the one the Blackfires challenged for being too Dornish and too pacifistic and too not. Targaryen, even though he was Targaryen. Well, that's another story. So I have to think that you can, it's no wonder that whenever it came around to name a new batch of Kingsguard, considering they had been killed in Dorne, that Aemon was made Lord Commander. Just makes sense, given the closeness to Baylor and the fact that his dad is the hand of the king. Your, your cousin, who you just got to know really well and has saved his life as the king, and your dad is hand of the king. And you probably deserved it. So you got the nepotism and the the resume. So, you know, <laughs> all the factors. <laughs> you know, another thing to keep in mind, as you're, you're calling this trio the God Squad, yeah. with those people in those positions, it's likely many other people peppered around them would be pious too. Yeah. Or at least down, pretend yeah. to be pious for the sake of getting or maintaining the positions on the the small council or whatever else, you know, people would... Realize I'm more likely to get in the King's Guard. Yeah. If I'm more pious. <laughs> if the king and the, and the dragon prince are pious, well, I guess I better at least pretend to fall in line with that. So he got Dark Sister back at some point, too. I can't imagine that they just let him keep it in the cage with him while he was chilling. But <laughs> clearly he got it back. I don't know. We don't know how, but we talked about it in the Lost Valyrian Steel episode with Tommy Pappas. 
along with the crown of Aegon the Conqueror that was worn by Daron and Blackfire. They didn't give those back. <laughs> so that's an interesting story. One of them came back, the other two didn't. Yeah, Nana also wonders about the reign of Baylor and what Aemon thought about it. On one hand, Baylor's strict commitment to peace with Dorne would have immediately put down any question of Aemon showing off martial skills in battle, which may have frustrated him if he wanted to show off. But on the other hand, he may not have been that type. He may not have cared about showing off. We, we just don't know. On the other hand, Aemon clearly demonstrated a sense of piety to the faith of the seven. Did he appreciate having a king on the Iron Throne who prioritized the faith? Good open question there. Two, because King Baylor sent Aegon on a diplomatic mission to Bravos after Nerys nearly died in childbirth, this period would have been a rare opportunity for Aemon and Nerys to spend time together without the cloud of Aegon hanging over them both. And because Aemon was both a Kingsguard and Nerys' brother, he was perfectly placed to intercede between Nerys and the king. Yeah, you wonder if this just inflamed Aegon's belief later if he started getting in his head like, oh, you two cheating on me together. This time that he wasn't there to witness it, maybe in his mind he got it that's the time that they were most cheating, you know, when he wasn't there. But who knows? Now, it's also possible that Aemon suggested this to Baylor. Baylor may have just been like, you know, it'd be smart to just send Aegon away on a diplomatic mission. That'll get him out of Nerys's hair for a while. But maybe the idea was suggested by someone. Maybe even Aemon was like, hey, king, you know, my brother would make an excellent choice for this envoy <laughs> that you're looking to send <laughs> to Bravos, you know. And Baylor's like, hmm, yes, good idea. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, it is possible that Baylor. Remember, I was thinking how Amon might have like gone along with some stuff that Baylor did, even though he didn't like it that much, because he saved his life. Mm, yeah, Baylor might be the same way. Baylor also felt like Amon saved his life, yeah. and he might have. Amon might have had some extra pull. Another thought I had is, I wonder how many of these things that Baylor did that were kind of negative, and that we even like maybe question Amon a little bit for going along with or supporting, you know, as kings or whatever. I wonder if maybe it would have been worse if not for Aemon. Yeah. What if Baylor wanted to lock uh, yeah. up all the women in the Red Keep? Might have, and yeah. Baylor's like, whoa, right. how about just the family members? You know, like, you know. Maybe he's one of the few people who would listen to. Them in. Yeah, that's a great point, yeah. actually. Yeah, maybe he was the voice of reason. A mitigating or a mitigating voice. Maybe not a full voice yeah. of reason, but just yeah. tamp it down a little bit there, King Crazy. Yeah. Which brings us to another sort of <laughs> off the path, putting it nicely. We'll just call it crazy. He wanted to apparently go up against the non-faithful. He was thinking maybe of cutting down more werewoods, maybe going to war against the North, maybe not war, but imposing things on them that probably would have led to war. You know, like he wouldn't have declared, he probably wouldn't have declared war on them, but maybe he would have. More likely he would have just imposed things that caused them to chafe and that may have led to violence. So who? what, what would Eamon have thought of this? Would Eamon, would he approve of chopping down werewoods or would he approve of any of this stuff about trying to bring the north into line with the faith of the seven that's a real tough one i feel like this might be one he went along with because it's a matter of not just the king but of the gods and who is he to say otherwise he might personally object but it'd be something he just has to go along with because it's his duty so not the kind of thing that he would object to strongly enough to cause him to go against his prime directive of duty this brings us to a curious but difficult to place in the timeline anecdote where we're told that Aemon the Dragon Knight fought against Lord Cregan. It wasn't apparently a duel where one of them was expected to die, where it was a duel to the death. Neither of them died in this duel. But we don't even know what it was fought over. Bran mentions it casually in the crypts while telling Osha about the different Starks. And Maester Lewin is right there. 
So you know that if Bran said something incorrect, he would have corrected him, <laughs> right? He's like, Bran, tell Osha about the different Starks. You know, it's like, it's like a lesson. And he says, there's the Cre dragon, there's Craig and Stark who fought against the Dragon Knight. Dragon Knight said he'd never faced a finer sword. That's the whole anecdote. <laughs> we try to figure out when this happened. We really don't know when it happened. We don't know why. Here's a few guesses, though. It could relate to Cregan's only son and heir at the time dying at the end of the first war in Dorne in 157. Maybe Eamon brought his bones to him and that caused some sort of problem. Problem with that is Eamon was laid up recovering from poison at the end of that point. So that doesn't really fit. That timing doesn't work there. Well, so maybe if it comes later, well, what would, what's the problem? What, why, what, what caused this duel to be fought? Is it maybe that they, the, the Starks felt they were owed a Targaryen bride and never got one? Cregan was mad about maybe. that and he demanded a duel for honor. A little bit like the Laughing Storm dueling Duncan the Tall over the issue, another issue of Targaryen princess marriage. Yeah, or prince marriage. Similar example that could be related. It may also still be the, have, for example, you gave like bringing the bones up, but maybe why did it take so long? Well, I was poisoned. That's no excuse. He's been up there seething in Winterfell, just waiting to challenge. And finally he comes, he makes this apology and Cregan maybe even wanted to understand and accept, but he still had this inner for frustration that he his... needed to get out mm. or maybe just for show of the other boards of, of the North, you know. A duel for honor. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah I suspect it was a duel for honor because no one died. Terra Incognita and Guilty Undertaker say, I'm thinking it was maybe at Attorney Melee. Attorney Melee. That's exactly what I was going to say. Very I wonder possible, if it could have yes. just been at a tournament, which may still have had some of these background frustrations coming out yeah. in the melee. And I can also imagine if maybe at a distance through stories with this family death involved, there might have been some animosity, but they've never met in person. And when they finally do, they win each other's respect through this combat. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, that's that's entirely possible. I, I like the the melee tournament idea. On the other hand, Starks aren't really big at fighting in melees, and Cregan would have been like in his 40s or 50s by then. And I don't know, like... Maybe he joined the melee because he knew Amon would be there. Yeah, so it's a little... Like, <laughs> it's definitely not off the table, but that's a little mm -hmm. bit of a... I would call that counter evidence. Like, Starks don't yeah. usually fight in tournaments. Plus, he's on the older side. It's like, old Stark fighting in a tournament is pretty unusual, <laughs> you know? Almost any scenario has to have some bit of unusual. Yes, because you're so right. That's we, why it's a, this whole thing is such a mystery. We can't like, yeah. we can't figure it out. One day, perhaps we will. Nina says, I like to imagine that it was partly a duel of honor. Compare, say, Rob and Joffrey practiced dueling under the oversight of Roderick Cassell during the king's visit to Winterfell, showing off the heirs of both houses, as well as perhaps a bit of mild vengeance on the part of Cregan. I tend to headcanon that Aemon was coming north to bring Rickon's bones home to Winterfell, similar to the way Jon Arryn did for Lewin Martell to Doran early in Robert's reign. Cregan may not have been truly angry at the Targaryens for Rickon's death, he himself had been willing to go to war for the Targaryens decades prior, but he may have felt a great personal sense of loss and grief at the death of his son, especially his only child by his beloved first wife. In turn, Cregan may not have been looking to hurt or kill Aemon, but may have wanted to exercise his grief and hurt on a Targaryen willing to engage in a fight with him. Compare, say, John beating Iron Emmett savagely even after the latter yielded because he was thinking about Stannis' offer of Winterfell and his own complicated feelings towards inheriting it. Yeah. That's an interesting anecdote to bring up. John's like totally spacing out while fighting Iron Emmett and realize he was wailing on him. This guy who's really good too. <laughs> like, whoa, what happened there? You know, I just went into a battle for like berserker mode there. Eamon doesn't seem like the berserker mode type, but <laughs> maybe Cregan <laughs> was. 
And maybe Eamon was, you know, he's got all that inner like rage that he's constantly holding back and having to behave. You could see him being one of those guys that's just holding on to a lot of anger. And if he gets the chance to let it out, it might come out a little quicker than he intended. Of course, I'm referring to anger towards his brother or maybe anger towards himself for failing to keep the king alive or I don't know. Again, the nuances of his personality are not fully available to us. So a lot of Baylor's reign is super interesting. We'll be able to discuss it again when we talk about Baylor's reign and may have a chance to circle back and add a few more details onto what Eamon may have been thinking if, if new ideas come along. But let's move towards the end of Baylor's reign and, and head to the next section of the timeline. Near the end of Baylor's reign, Prince Baylor was born to Daron and Mariah. So the marriage that Baylor had arranged by his walk bore fruit in the form of a child a new Prince Baylor. This is the future Baylor Breakspear, Sean, the one in the Hedge Knight who dies at the end of the Hedge Knight. So we've connected another timeline dot here. When you consider him, Prince Baylor Breakspear, and how great he was and how noble he was, it sure does kind of make sense that he grew up around the Dragon Knight, right? This is another, this is probably an influence. And even though the Dragon Knight died before Baylor would be an adult, the legend would live on. Of course, the legend lives on 120, 140 years later. It's definitely going to live on five years after his death. So especially amongst the family, this is the same family you're talking about. This is your uncle or your cousin or whatever. So it very likely impacted Baylor significantly in his childhood and beyond. Again, I want to point out the idea that not just the legend of Amon living on, but the people that would have been put in place by Amon and Baylor and maybe Nerys would also probably have been very, had integrity and morality and stuff that would have, Baylor would have come up under them. Yeah, Does that make sense? yeah, definitely. You know, the other King's guards who were protecting him were probably of a mind with Amon, probably would have, you know, whoever ends up being Baylor's mentor is probably of a mind with Amon, even if Amon isn't directly affecting or raising Baylor, people that would have been put in place under the reign of Baylor and Amon are still there for Baylor through his use. So. Mm-hmm. Good point. Not too long after the birth of Baylor Breakspear came the birth of a man who would become one of his chief rivals, Damon Waters, who was eventually renamed Damon Blackfire. And this was from Dana the Defiant and Aegon as in Aemon's brother. They were not, of course, not married. They hooked up. And Dana didn't admit who the father was for a long time. That doesn't mean there weren't strong suspicions. That doesn't mean people didn't know. It just wasn't openly stated. Eamon very possibly knew who the father was because it was his brother. And it may have just, like I said, it may have just been an open secret anyway, even though Dana refused to admit it. I remember Dana is the younger sister of Baylor and Daron I. Dana was married to Baylor, but Baylor never consummated. They were locked up in the Maiden Vault, Dana and her two sisters. So Aegon got in somehow, hooked up with her, and this child was born. They didn't continue their affair. Aegon had his famous nine mistresses, and Dana was not one of them. Dana maybe wised up and was like, yeah, this, this prince is terrible. I don't, why am I hooking up with him? <laughs> Who probably guarded the Maiden Vault? The Kingsguard, <laughs> right? So if Aemon was Kingsguard Lord Commander by now, this would maybe be on his shoulders as maybe a failure of his command, right? These were his people guarding the door. This might be, might be fall on him, which might be a lot worse than you think, because what was Baylor's response to his former wife having a child out of wedlock under his... 
He fasted, of course. Fasting. Yes, <laughs> but he fasted hardcore. He died fasting. So does Eamon blame himself for this happening? Does he blame himself for the king, for this failure of security that led to this child being born, that led to this fasting, that led to the death of the most pious king that Westeros would ever see before or after? Either way, I think Eamon took it hard. Maybe could I have done more? Even if he didn't blame himself, he seems like the kind of guy, what could I have done differently? What could I have done to stop this? Even if it's not his fault, the guilt, the... It's another king he's lost, right? And the one that probably meant the most to him. Ooh, real bad, right? Real bad. And, that, and with that, it falls off. And he would also see the, the change in leadership. Like no longer is, the, is piety going to be number one on the list. No longer is pacifism going to be at the top. He may not have been as... The pi- pacifism may not have been as important to him. Maybe it was. The piety was. We can be pretty sure about that. Especially because his sister was so would have been big on that as well. But nope, that was over. End of the God Squad, perhaps. Not that it wasn't still important. It was still a big part of them holding on to power, was playing nice with the Faith of the Seven. But it certainly would not have been as important with with Baylor being gone. TKOK Podcast Network sends a super chat and says, love y'all. Well, the feeling is mutual, Tommy. Shout I placed out to that TK. where I did. What's that? I placed that where I did because... TKOK Podcast Network also has the New Dad Podcast. And the next section we're covering is Dad Ascends. Hey, Dad Ascends. <laughs> right on. <laughs> That's true. Dad does ascend. Viserys goes from hand to the king for 20 years to king. A king making his son an heir hand has been done before. We've seen a lot of examples of that. But, but quite a few of those times, it didn't actually happen. Like the hand died before, like in the case of the other Aemon, the son of Jaehaerys and Alysanne, who died in order that Viserys would become king later. And Baylor, or Balon rather, was hand as well, and he died prematurely. So in this case, though, it's the throne passing from nephew to uncle, which is, that's unusual. In fact, I don't think it's happened before or since. Not on the Iron Throne anyway. So that is, a, that's, that's a little strange, but there's also a possibility that Viserys poisoned Baylor. That's an open question, an open rumor, even though... That's his own nephew. It's possible because the idea was that Baylor was his decisions, his way to push the faith was going to lead to violence. It was going to lead to civil war, even though he didn't want it to. His decisions became more and more erratic. He appointed an eight-year-old as like high septon. Yeah, he just got crazier and crazier. So the idea that he was poisoned because his decisions were going to lead to ruin, it makes sense. That doesn't mean it happened. But again, what if Eamon knew about it? What if Eamon found out that his own father poisoned this pious king that he was close to? Or what if he supported it? I find it hard to believe they supported it, but that has to be like possible given how little we know about the scenario. What is this? How does this strike you, Sean? It's pretty, pretty wild, huh? all these possibilities. It's very dramatic. I've got three thoughts turning in me. I'm probably going to forget the third one before I get to it. But, uh... <laughs> Best of luck to you. One is, you remember in the, the episode you did with Daniele Bellelli, about murderous families over history. Yeah. It's very common, almost expected in many moments in, you know, monarchical systems through history for family members to try to kill each other for the sake of power. It's not like a random fluke thing that happened once or twice. It was like a consistent thing that happened all the time. So it's not crazy for Martin to have included that in his world, right? I don't necessarily expect it's true, but I don't think it's a stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow we found out it was true. Another thought, I wonder, 
if some of the fasting that Baylor did was because he was suspicious of being poisoned, oh, was mm. worried or heard a rumor or had a vision that someone was trying to poison him and so just wouldn't eat any food. Hmm. You know, I wonder if that's added a, to it. Yeah. A, a factor at least. You yeah, know, it wouldn't something. have been the main reason, but it could have been a factor, right? Yeah. yeah. Especially if he is kind of going crazy, which he might might have had some instability in the first place. But he, who knows what kind of heat exhaustion and dehydration he went through in a desert that might have had a real long-term effect on his psychological yeah, the, capacity. He might have been poison, all a paranoid person. You know what I mean? Like, lock the women up. I'm not going to eat any food. You know, yeah. put, persecute mm. the non-pious. You know, I can I can see an element of paranoia in him that might have pushed people. To, but if, if he was... Yeah, it might not have been framed More as paranoid pious. as anybody else, but he might have been coming from right. that place. That's like, how mm. if if Aries, the Mad King Aries, happened to have been more pious, some of the crazy murderous things he did might have been done more in the name of God or whatever, mm. but he still might have been burning people. It still would have been yeah. crazy. And one of his own King's guards, Jamie Lannister, still ended up killing him. Again, Amon doesn't seem to be presented to us that way, but someone else on the King's guard, someone else in court might have been. Yeah. Finally, I, I'm remembering all three thoughts. Emma might have been too naive to think about poison. He might have been too righteous yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what was the name of that? The, the guy that Braun fought? And I was like, he had honor. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can just imagine a more noble, traditional, pious knight just not considering, wait, poison? That doesn't matter for Eamon because he's been poisoned. So is Baylor. So it doesn't yeah. make as much sense there. But I can see some people just, not having that in a realm of their concerns. Servardus, by the way. Two... That's the guy's name. Oh, thank you. Thank Egan. you. <laughs> Another point here is the succession. We kind of glossed over, we've talked about it in other places, but the fact that Viserys inherited kind of shows that they didn't really consider passing the throne to a woman anymore. They kind of decided not to do that, even though it wasn't maybe official. They just passed over Dana. Dana could have been the queen. She was next in line based on some versions of, or standard versions of how it passes, but not against, based on maybe what had been argued over in the dance, but certainly not established afterwards. They didn't say, no, women can't rule. It wasn't a made law. It was just kind of, all the men agreed to just do that. And Dana was it's part of what- precedent. It's a convenient precedent. Which, by the way, is part of why Dana the Defiant. There's theories that she encouraged the behavior of her son, Damon Blackfire, to take the throne because it should have been her as queen in the first place. So it's not gonna, if you're not going to take a man, well, take from that person's line the next candidate that would have come from her descent. So there is an argument for that. Anyway, that's a whole nother story, whole nother part of, the, of this timeline a little later. But what did Eamon think of that? Did Eamon think, yeah, it's better to pass over the women or that can lead to war? He thought, no, like he has respect for his sister. And he's like, no, women are very capable. Why not? You know, give it, why not let Dana rule? Again, just something we can't possibly know, but a worthy, a worthy question, something to throw out there and be like, well, yeah, if we're imagining this as a movie or a fleshed out story, not a movie, but a TV show or a fleshed out novel or something, that would be a thing that would probably need to be addressed if the, if the story had Eamon's point of view represented strongly. One, or we, I feel, generally want to think of him as the hero he's been presented as, but... I don't know if the, the church, the faith, the pious, they're not exactly all about promoting women in power and feminist rights or whatever. No, so so much, huh? I'm suspicious of, you know, he may not have like actively yeah. wanted her to not be queen, but I don't see him pushing forward. Either. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, that's that's a 
probably an uncomfortable truth there. Yeah, that is, is very, they're very anti-women in charge, the, the faith of the seven. And this is another thing where the nepotism may have worked against them. Yeah, Eamon probably earned his spot as a king's guard, but it's a real blind spot if your, your own father, who probably made the appointment of you as Lord Commander, wants to murder the king that you're supposed to be protecting. You said, Sean, maybe he doesn't even think about the possibility of poison. I think he probably did, but he may not have thought about the possibility of poison from his own father. From his father, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and, what was he, and how could he stop him? He was like, hey, Dad, let me check that cup. You know, like yeah. if your father hands a cup of wine to Baylor, you can be like, hold on, dad, <laughs> let me <laughs> give that to the tester first. You know, like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work that way. Mm. So when it comes to family on family violence, he's more helpless than a neutral Kingsguard member might be. And this is of all Targaryen leadership group here, basically. Yeah. Mm. Ironically, Viserys, even whether or not he did murder his nephew here, he was a good ruler. He was a good king. We, there's no, even though I compared him to Tywin, I did say Tywin without the evil. <laughs> so that's a yeah. very important <laughs> distinction. He, he wasn't cruel that we know of. He wouldn't have killed, if he did kill Baylor, it wasn't to make himself king for his own power. It was to avert disaster, seemingly. Like there's, there's no hint that he did this for his own gain. And he, he only lasted 15-ish months. He wasn't king very long himself. It may also have been poison. He may have been poisoned by his own son. Aegon the Unworthy, who all of a sudden found himself one person away from the throne, which, oh my God, what does Aemon think of that? Like Aemon may have been, that's one reason for Aemon may to regret his father becoming king is because that puts his brother next. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Like, he's like, oh boy. You know, on the other hand, it puts Daron in the line of succession after that, which is a good thing, but he's like, oh, my brother. No, (laughs) you know, so you can see that coming. The writing on the wall is that his brother's probably going to become king. He probably thought he had more than 15 months, though. He probably thought he had longer than, he probably thought his father, because his father wasn't old. Like, even though his father had been hand for 20 years, he has been hand since he was 20. So he was only like 40 something. This is nowhere near an old man. Nowhere near at all. Nowhere near at all, yes, (laughs) says the two 40 somethings. (laughs) So again, Eamon would not have had anything to do with this. He wouldn't have helped someone murder his own father. Certainly not helped his brother do it. Like he doesn't even like his brother. But he probably heard the rumors after. Shameful. Just shame, shame, shame. If your own brother did that or if you couldn't stop it. Just as another king has died under his watch. Now he's Lord Commander as well. And he was Lord Commander under Baylor too. So that's two kings. The first two kings, one tuberculosis, one in war. At least he wasn't the Lord Commander. This, These two, both his kin and he's Lord Commander, a duty-bound person is going to be like, ugh, I have failed. I have failed. I have failed. He would pray a lot. His knees would be, <laughs> would be uh, scraped up from all that praying. He needs some knee pads. And yeah. Real quick, I wanted to make the point too that however bad Aegon was, Amon probably still wouldn't even consider that Aegon would poison his father. Maybe not. Right? Maybe like not. That's, even if he was, you know, worldly cynical enough to consider someone might poison, he probably still didn't consider that his brother would poison his dad. You yeah. know, it's still like, I, it's I, I feel like it's the type of thing like, what was I supposed to do? Yeah. Was I supposed to <laughs> chug the drink that my <laughs> father and brother were giving each other to see if it was poison? Like, Let's say he did. How maybe he did one time. Like how would that realistically go over? Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> like <laughs> the other flip side of Viserys 
who was doing good, good work in that 15 months. He was organizing the realm really well. Now, who knows what the long term would have been, but he was making good decisions. He was, some said that he had it in him to be another, another Jaharis, which, yeah, not great handling his family, but pretty good with like, handling the realm, you know, building roads, yeah. making smart choices with taxation and trade, things like that. Stuff that will, that will make the realm better, but that didn't last very long. So Aegon becomes king and Nerys becomes queen. That's the other side of this that's real interesting to consider from Aemon's point of view. His beloved sister who wanted to be a septa. <laughs> she asked their father for permission to become a septa rather than marrying Aegon or to leave Aegon and become a septa was denied that. She's queen now, which means she's very powerful. But this is like an Alicent thing from House of the Dragons. Like, I made you queen. Isn't that what you'd want? And she's like, I don't know. You didn't let me decide what I would have wanted. I don't think Nerys wanted to be queen. She definitely wanted to be queen to that king. Yeah. But maybe she saw it as an opportunity to do good. Like Baylor's like, well, this is my duty. She's pious. She probably believes it's the will of the gods. Aemon as well. They might not be happy with the will of the gods. We're like, well, we, we, we got to go along with it. We got to do our duty. Speaking of duty, she had become pregnant again. Aegon was trying to have more kids. Well, he succeeded. He had lots of kids with other women mostly, though. A boy and a girl this time. Twins again. But the boy died. The girl did not. The girl got the name Daenerys. This is the same Daenerys who would later receive the water gardens from her husband, the Prince of Dorne. So Aemon would have grieved with Daenerys for the boy and celebrated young Daenerys, a new niece of his. It's a great thing. Probably would have done it anyway. But again, love and duty actually collide again here in a good way because Aegon probably wasn't very sympathetic, probably didn't really have kind words to offer or grief about the lost child. Probably didn't celebrate the daughter all that much either. Maybe it was like, yes, I'm going to marry her off someday or who knows. This is nothing good about Aegon. So <laughs> also, he was distracted because a fortnight later, another one of his bastards was born. So he had two kids in a short span of time. He's probably just immediately moves on to check that one out. And he's more into this woman than his wife, Barbara Bracken, who was also locked up in the maiden vault, by the way. <laughs> she was released at the same time as the other women. And this child, Agor Rivers. That name, you remember that name, Sean? Agor Rivers? That's Bittersteel. Yeah. yeah. You knew that. I, I'm learning. Yes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> cool. So that's a pretty big deal because, as we said, Aegon's like, tastes for women started to climb the ladder in terms of rank. And he was having lots of like lower-born bastards which doesn't make them worse, obviously, but it makes them less problematic in terms of succession crisis issues and things like that. This one, Agor Rivers, pretty big problem for a number of ways, just because of his existence and later because of his decisions as an adult. Let's talk real briefly about our friends and sponsors over at Smile Brilliant. I have been continuing on my teeth whitening journey. I'm very happy with it. My teeth are getting steadily whiter and it's been painless. But Today, I want to talk to you about a different product they have for offer, for offer, to offer, and for offer, both of them. There is a, a little tablet you can buy from them that marks the plaque on your teeth. It like makes it stand out. So you chew it and it like stains your teeth like a like Kool-Aid or something. So you can really see where the buildup is. You can see the spots you're missing. It highlights the areas that you aren't brushing well. So it shows you your kind of your... Weeks point. You're you're the spots you're missing. And, of and it stays there for weeks so yeah. everyone else can see too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now it rinses out in about like 30 less than 30 minutes. 
So it's really helpful and, and it's a pretty low cost option. I mean, this is one of the cheapest things they have on their website. Mostly I've been pitching the higher end stuff, but this week I wanted to pitch something that's very useful, but on the cheaper end, just to balance things out a bit. That sounds really useful. I mean, a cheap way to just brush your teeth more effectively without having to do a lot of work. You just rinse it out to you like there, right there, right there, right there. Brush there a little better. It'll change your patterns and you'll see a difference over the long term. Maybe chew one of those tablets again a few weeks later and find, hey, I did a good job. Like you see those get used sometimes in dentist office. I've had them given to me before just while I'm there because they want to point to you. They want to show to you like, look, this is where you're missing. That's why they have visual proof of of your own failure. (laughs) So they can't just say, you need to brush better over here. But if they can show it to you visually, it's a lot easier to be like, okay, I get it. I can see the buildup. I can see the plaque and it just stands what out. What if there's a difference of like, you know, I don't know, being right-handed or something if you brush differently oh, yeah. and there's more cavities on one side than the other or whatever. I bet there's some studies on that. That's a, that's a good theory, Sean. But anyway, you can get all your Smile Brilliant products at smilebrilliant.com and you get 20% off if you use the code Westeros. That's Westeros, smilebrilliant.com, 20% off. Check it out. Ashea introduced to us a few weeks ago her awesome episode searcher reintroduced, I should say, because she had made one before, but this is sort of a, a new version of it, beefed up version. It's a new, maybe we'll call it episode searcher 2.0. <laughs> and it's so nice. It's available if you are a subscriber through Patreon. And if you are a subscriber through Spotify, you can email us and we'll give you the link to it. It's pretty spectacular because our catalog has grown so big. We're always mentioning episodes for y'all to check out and old episodes we've done in the past. But Frankly, podcast platforms and YouTube, they don't have that. They haven't developed a great way to search back catalogs. It's kind of a new problem. Neither of these sites have existed that long in the scheme of things. Like 25 years ago, did YouTube even exist 25 years ago? I'm not sure. They may have been pretty new. That may have been right when they were new. But you can see what I mean. Like most YouTube channels don't have a big back catalog. But every year that goes by, this is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. So Shay, I took on herself solve this problem, at least for our listeners. It doesn't help other shows. You can't search... The gang solves the internet. Yeah, you can't search other <laughs> shows on this episode, Searcher. It's how only. But you can search by a number of ways, number of different features that the episode might have, whether it's video only, whether it's house history, whether there's a lot of different tags and categories. Did I explain that pretty well, Ashe? Did I leave anything yeah. out? Yeah, you did. Cool. Sounds good. Well, Ashe is, is great at that. And I think you all should check it out if you uh, want to take a look, maybe some episodes you didn't even know you missed. Yeah. I would just want to say real quick how much I feel it's like a game changer for something like a Search of Iron. I must say it is Search of Iron, Iron and Fire. Fire. Yeah, nice. <laughs> search of Fire, Ice and Fire. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine you guys who read this book, you know, like, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, when you had like an idea, if you want to like, think about what Arya did in this or that point or how time, how many times George mentioned the moon or, you know, just still looking, going down rabbit holes when you just had to like search through all the physical pages of it. I just can't imagine. That is what I did. I had e-copies. I would just, when I would sit down to write an episode, I would, the first thing I would do is I'd open up a Game of Thrones, open up a Clash of Kings, open up a Storm of Swords, open up a Feast for Crows, open up a Dragons. And then when I would search for one, I'd have to search all five of them. And then eventually the World of Ice Mm -hmm. and Fire was added to that and then so on and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I just, I feel like 
me and newer people and even people who were doing it before who've gotten to transition, it's understand how valuable it is to quickly access a lot of the information. Well, at this point, you know, I, we've got more content than the books themselves by far, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And so it's got to be a valuable thing to be able to similarly search our content. And it, it's, it'll be a work in process to get everything tagged or, or a log of the dialogue that we've had to be able to search or whatever. But I think that's the idea that to be able to search our content in the same way you could search those books, yes. figure out all the thoughts we've ever had on how many times George used the word moon or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. how many Caitlin quotes or et cetera. Or when, if you think about last week, as I think it was last week, Aziz was like, oh, I think that idea about them seeing about Danny and the fire is great and the bald thing. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure you've said that before. (laughs) It's come up before. Yeah. Yeah. So we can find all the times it's come up before. Right on. So it's an issue that's ongoing that Ashea has done a lot to help solve. And we will continue to solve it over the years. And at least until (laughs) these podcast platforms and YouTube give us a built-in way to handle it. A couple of people, more than a couple of people, actually several mothers wrote in on the issue of Aegon beating his brother with a dragon egg. So this is great. I loved this feedback. Our good friend, one of my favorite people, Christina Dillsdale, wrote, it's a bit undirected, but that strength is crazy. Referring to who her toddler, who is about two years old, named Teddy. Basically, the point is, that she made is he's probably strong enough to lift that dragon's egg, although we don't actually know how heavy a dragon's egg is. Aiming it properly might be difficult, <laughs> but the actual lifting, he could, he could handle that. And Cat Ovivas, my favorite comment here, says, never underestimate the two-years-old. I once left the room for 20 seconds maximum, and when I came back, my not-yet-two-year-old son was carrying his newborn sister across the room, holding her at the neck like a kitten. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> wow, yeah, okay. I guess that's why they say don't leave kids alone even for a second, because, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I, oh, shout out to parents. Because, yeah, if you're, 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 you've got to be worried about something like that happening. When would you ever get a minute to take a nap? I mean, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I polled our Spotify listeners, which is a small subset of listeners. I eventually will bring it out to poll Twitter as well, because it's a much larger group of you and maybe even Facebook, just to see what y'all thought about Eamon and Nerys, whether they had a romantic relationship or not. I'm a little surprised because more of you said yes than no. And I thought they would be more no's, but. How should I ask the question? Were things romantic between Eamon and Aries? Yeah. Were things romantic between Eamon and Aries? I'm asking yes or no. yeah. a poll in the YouTube. I chat. actually wrote it like, were, did they have a romantic relationship? Yes. A bit like Jamie and Cersei. Or no, they didn't. A bit like Marjorie and Loras. Guilty Undertaker says, was Raina Targaryen the one who became a septa at court at this time? I can see her being tight with Eamon and Aries as well. Yes, absolutely. Good call. Eamon, Aries. And young Garon and Reyna, who was the middle sister of Dana, Reyna, and Elena. She did become a Septa. And so, yeah, she would have definitely been on board. And in this group, most likely, at least agreed with a lot of their decisions anyway, if she wasn't fully on board. But she was young. So I, I don't suppose she would have been like a, a loud voice at court, but would have been there and supportive. And maybe she's louder than we think, but reports are that she was kind of quiet. And it's another example of what I said, that in addition to this kind of prominent name, God Squad, the people around them would have been in this same sphere and of a mind, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's a major... And that would have permeated other institutions, the raising of a next generation of kids, the policies set in a place that would have gone on for a generation or more, et cetera. No matter how beloved or hated the person at the top is, people, their behavior, whatever behaviors they're exuding 
will be justified. Some people, certain section of the population will feel more justified in behaving a certain way if that leader is doing the same thing. We've seen that in the Leaders real world. beware. Yeah. We've seen that in the real world, and that would be happening here. Like, look, because, yeah, look what happens when Aegon becomes king, which we're about to get to. He, all the court becomes a place of, you know, lickspittles and corrupt individuals, and yeah, and not a place of piety and bravery. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Definitely true. Another shout out to Michael Klarfeld. His movie is now out. Yes. It's only about 37 minutes. It is funny, has depth. It is called St. Lucy's Church for Women Raised not, by not Wolves. Church. It's a long name. I keep forgetting the full title. I, I, school. School for Wayward. School for Girls Raised by Wolves. Yeah. It's a great title, but hard to remember <laughs> exactly the wording. <laughs> <laughs> you can also look for it on our Facebook group at Discord. We'll, we'll be sharing it around social media. So anywhere you follow us, you should be able to find the link. By the way, whether you know Michael Clarfield or not, he makes a bunch of maps. He does a bunch of stuff that, in general. But, you know, we kind of connected through him through the maps he makes of the world of Martin's world. And he also has a video, maybe multiple, but he definitely has one on The Reach, where he kind of goes around his map of The Reach and talks about the different locations and characters and everything that he involved. I, just when I finished the, the short film, it just went to that next. It's like, wow, this is good, too. So <laughs> check that out. Yes. <laughs> Real quick. I want to backtrack slightly as well on something else I said, not to change it, but to add a little detail. Sean, you asked about the Kingsguard in the era that Eamon was born, and I said we didn't know much about it. We do have names. That's mostly all we have, but it's a little more than that. So let let me go through this real quick. During the regency of... Aegon III, he named Sir Robin Massey and Sir Robert Darkland to the Kingsguard, but but they were unnamed because his hand of the king was like, no, you're not of age yet, and I decide who your your Kingsguard are. So maybe he renamed them later after he became of age. There's no indication he did because not a lot of time would have passed. But on the other hand, there just may not have been space. You need someone to die first, and maybe there just wasn't. There wasn't a lot of war going on at this time. Sir Edmund Warwick, Sir Dennis Whitfield, and Sir Agramore Cobb were named after the secret siege of 135. Sean's like, secret siege, you say? Well, yeah. As long as this episode's going to be, I don't have time to explain the secret siege, but it was something that happened during the Regency and with the Lyseni and Sandok the Shadow and all this cool stuff. But what's funny about these guys is House Warwick, House Whitfield, House Cobb, never heard of any of those. And we do know who Lord Commander was, Sean. It was Reynard Ruskin. Also, Ruskin? Never heard of that either. So he was promoted to Lord Commander after the Secret Siege. So he was in the Kingsguard during the Secret Siege and took the place of Marston Waters, I think. And any number of them could have been around when Eamon was jo- joined in 153, since they were probably on the younger side, some of them, at least some of them would have been. Any of them could have been the one we theorized was Eamon's favorite or the one that he looked up to or maybe practiced with the most. Any of those guys. Maybe he took one of their places when they died. One of them died eventually. One of them or multiples could have been in the conquest of Dorne still 22 years later and maybe died or was one of the ones to die in the ambush or maybe even one of the ones, the one that surrendered or one of the ones that survived. It's even possible one of them survived. Sir Reynard had to have died by Baylor's reign, though, because Lord Commander clearly had to have died for Eamon to take that spot. We also know of a guy named Sir Joffrey Staunton, who was in the Kingsguard in 155. But other than him threatening a man that Aegon's wife slept with, we don't know anything about him. So sounds like he was one of the ones that Aegon kept with him because he was willing to be Aegon's bully. Did you say Staunton? Yeah, that's a crown. Crown is that house. a house we know otherwise? That's a house okay, we do know. Yeah, Crownland. that's one of the Crownlands houses. Interesting. There was three, four, four names? houses that we never heard never of heard before, of or, before since. or since. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, you wonder if that was by design to keep 
certain powerful houses out of the way or to keep them more lowborn to make them more who knows there's a lot of intriguing and maneuvering in that era it is tempting to talk about but we have so much to cover today we'll have to come back to it nina also mentions long tom costain there was a a a costain he died he served for 60 years and we don't hear of him in this third century and that's 60 years as that's covered so he may have lived in the second century of targaryen rule which would have have six serving for 60 years it's hard to squeeze that in so he may have been in this king's guard in this era as well and by the way that is a reference to the author thomas costain who is a influence on george let's talk about the ascension of the unworthy brother aegon became king in 172 and his appetite for women somewhat checked by his father quickly got out of hand to new heights of depravity he had his famous nine mistresses which were not all at the same time but he did have multiple women at the same time in general, literally hundreds of other unnamed partners. He was the Wilt Chamberlain of his, of Targaryen Kings. And his, he reigned for about 12 years. So it's a lot of depravity. Barristan mentions that in the past, Kings have dispatched Kingsguard to serve and defend their mistresses and bastards, but there's not enough Kingsguard to cover <laughs> all his mistresses <laughs> and bastards. So what do you do here? For the bastard guard. Yeah. And this is maybe <laughs> a way for him to shame his brother send Aemon to guard one of his mistresses or one of his bastards instead of the trueborn offspring or his sister who is being shamed by all these affairs. So we know for sure Aegon tried to embarrass his brother and sister. Here's a one-liner quote to spell that out in plain English. Aegon's resentment of his noble celebrated brother was plain to all for the king delighted in slighting Aemon and Nerys both at every turn. It's not even a theory, apparently. It's just something he did a lot. But the slight scenarios were more well-known because they came in the form of these mistresses and children. They stick out in the historical record more. There's actual people rather than just passing comments here and there or other things like that. And Eamon could do very little but speak up, which, of course, didn't do anything at all to stop the unworthy. Nerys went on her deathbed again early on in this reign, in her reign, in her brother's reign, her and her brother's reign. And this caused a, a drama because the Brackens gambled that she was going to die. And the Brackens were chief at court at this time. Aegon had made a Bracken his hand, and his number one mistress was the same Barbara Bracken who had already delivered Bittersteel. Obviously, that wasn't his name yet. He wasn't bitter at age one, although there were already things for him to be bitter about even then. And it's said that because of the the pushback on this, because they tried to basically get Aegon to name young Aegor as his new heir to set Daron aside based on these parentage rumors that were getting started and were being pushed around. And it backfired pretty badly when Nerys recovered. A lot of the court, including Daron and Aemon himself, Aemon the Dragon Knight, backs her. So this is this faction of individuals that are pushing the Brackens back. It got bad enough that Aegon sent Barba away, sent Aegor too. They weren't sent back to Stonehenge. And pretty sure he fired his hand then as well. And that led to the ascent as mistress of Missy Blackwood, who was the one mistress everyone seemed to like. She was popular. She was nice. She was friendly. Nerys liked her. So there you go. Like she's a mistress, but even Nerys liked her. If Nerys liked her, then that says a a ton about her personality. Eamon liked her too, maybe in part because Nerys kind of gave him permission to like her, you know, because I think if she didn't like him or like her, 
Eamon would have been dutifully distant as well. But he may have wanted to like her too because she seems like a very likable person. And But she was, she was around for five years and she gave birth to Bloodraven. And he did not get kicked away from court. Bloodraven was apparently raised at court, at least for a lot of it. This topic is more covered in our actual Egg on the Unworthy episode. Eamon's involvement in a lot of this is certainly there, but it's not tangible exactly, other than we would be pretty clear about him following Nerys' lead on a lot of things, and Nerys and Daron especially. So we don't hear about Melissa's father either. So it's not a similar case of where the Brackens are just trying to make in-routes everywhere. You got the mistress, you got the child, and you got the father being handed to the king. But there's no word that Melissa's father was handed to the king. So that probably tamped down the political intrigue, which paved the way for more like regular friendships because there wasn't this shadow of power hanging over all these things. I wonder if another, I don't know, dynamic involved was that at this point, the fact that the king just has a bunch of mistresses and bastards, it's like, it's just the way of things now. And so if Melissa and others enter into this scenario with that understanding, they might handle it differently. Rather yeah. than being secretive or conniving, she just accepts it for what it is, makes the best of it, is friendly with everyone, doesn't angle for power. I can imagine someone finding a way to make this go easier than other people have in the past. Like yeah. her same person, her character, whatever, as the first mistress, mistress still might not have been liked the way she ended up being at this point, right? Yeah, it's really clever. Miss Melissa Blackwood is a beloved character about whom very little is known because of stuff like this. Like, yeah, she found a way to be beloved in a spot where you're almost always hated. Like you just, just the nature of your involvement, just the nature of your place at court is, is hard to deal with. It's hard to like, she's attached to that guy, to the worst possible man, you know, but somehow she rose above that. It's really, really, really amazing. There's a statue of her at Raventree Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daron's parents. Wait, who built that statue? Was it Blood Raven? Because that, <laughs> that takes away a little bit of the meaningfulness. Maybe I've just forgotten. Lady Lajara Dajo sends a super chat, says, I'm late, but I'm here. Hashtag house beard. Well, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate that. And we're glad you're here. And to the rest Trim, of you. but don't shave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as we've said a few times, and as a lot of you know already, a- King Aegon did not like his son and heir Daron, who was more like Baylor without the crazy. And he certainly wasn't like his father. He didn't sleep around. He was pious and he wasn't warlike. So he was probably more like Prince Aemon other than the not being good with a sword. He had like a, yeah, he wasn't built like a warrior either. He was like a, built like a scholar. The king tried a few things over the years to disown him. And since he didn't have any other trueborn sons, he couldn't just pass over him for another trueborn son, which would have been, that might've actually worked. He might've been able to pull that off, but he didn't have another trueborn son. So he kept, threatening to legitimize one of his bastard sons. Now, people often make the mistake of thinking he was going to legitimize Damon first, but it wasn't yet declared that Damon was Aegon's son. Dana the Defiant had kept that, still had kept that a secret to this point. So the the bastard he was referring to was Agor Rivers, was Bittersteel. That's the one he was threatening to make his new heir. And that would have been civil war, obviously, if that had happened, because civil war did happen later, the, the Blackfire rebellions. I mean, you know. But when the Blackfires were but babes, the king used a cat's paw to make an accusation against not only his wife, but his brother, Aemon. He tried to throw them both under the proverbial bus, the Valyrian steel bus, as it were. A man named Sir Morgil, a knight of House Hastwick. Hastwick is of similar rank to Staunton. They're crown lands houses that are pretty nearby. So the ones that are ostensibly most loyal to the Iron Throne. He 
accused Queen Nerys of adultery in open court and declared that her lover was Aemon. This, of course, is treasonous. That's treason. Very straightforward. Aemon, of course, was like, trial by combat. Yo, that's someplace I'm very confident in my ability. Sir Morgul must have been pretty good, too, because, I mean, he had to see this coming. The trial, I was like, oh, trial by combat. I didn't think of that. Damn it. What a fool I am for making this accusation. No, he, of course, they knew it would lead to this, which is a little odd because did Aegon think Morgul would win? Maybe he did. Maybe Morgul was really good, but he didn't win. The Dragon Knight won. And it backfired worse than, than Aegon may have fought because it just increased his legend. It made Aemon even more heroic. This story is still told now. Here's an example of that story still being told now. Cersei and Taina Merriweather discussing a familiar accusation of infidelity, bringing us back to Loras and Marjorie. Quote, This trial, she said in a quiet voice, what if Marjorie demands that her guilt or innocent be determined by a wager of battle? A smile brushed Cersei's lips. As queen, her honor must be defended by a knight of the King's Guard. Why? Every child in Westeros knows how Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight championed his sister, Queen Nerys, against Ser Morgul's accusations. With Ser Loras so gravely wounded, though, I fear Prince Aemon's part must fall to one of his sworn brothers. She shrugged. Who, though? Ser Aris and Ser Balon are far away in Dorne. Jaime is off at Riverrun. And Ser Osmond is the brother of the man accusing her, which leaves only, oh dear. Moros Blunt and Marin Trance, Lady Tiana laughed. Yes, and Sir Marin has been feeling ill of late. Remind me to tell him that when we return <laughs> to the castle. <laughs> Remember that when Tyrion was ribbing Sir Loras about joining the Kingsguard so young, he's like, the honor of serving besides its paragons is Boris Blunt and Marin Trant? That's why you did it, right? <laughs> so it's the same two guys that get named <laughs> in this spot. And yeah, it's too bad for Aegon. He didn't accuse his sister while Aemon was laid up recovering from a poison in his case rather than being burned, which apparently apparently was happened to Loras. But Aegon wasn't king when Aemon was recovering from poison, so it wouldn't have probably gone as well. We know better than to accept the outcome of a trial by combat as absolute proof, but Westeros doesn't. <laughs> so they so that's why it backfired. Because yeah, I'm sure in my mind, Aegon was only thinking of the rewards here. He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get rid of my brother. And disinherit my son all in one swoop. He's like, what a great idea. He didn't think of, he's like, and if this goes wrong, oh, whatever. That dude's dead. Who cares? He didn't really think it all the way through with my guess because now it's proven. It's like the gods just declared, no, that is your trueborn son. So he was stuck with it from then on. He couldn't really argue his way out of it at that point because it had been put to the test and failed. But the gods weighed in. So he didn't, he couldn't really, even as king, he couldn't really argue against that anymore. He would try to wiggle around it a few times. He did some stuff still, but that really, in a good way for people of decency, shot himself in the foot there. How drunk was he? <laughs> who, who did he have whispering in his ear? Yeah. Like <laughs> Maybe it was Morgil himself. He's like, because this guy's like, I want the, this, the glory of defeating the dragon knight. He really thought he could do it. I mean, just a kind of a crazy dude. Again, a person we don't know much about, but he must have been very confident. <laughs> Like, you don't just be like, yeah, I'm going to fight the Dragon Knight. And it'll all go good from there. Then it's just profit from that. My own, you know, the rest of my life. Will I got to say, by the way, <laughs> after seeing House of the Dragon, I feel like they did such a good job with it, especially with, I don't know, relatively little information. And and this first season, which is all built up to the more actioning part, which is so good. 
it makes me so much more excited to see all these stories now. Yeah, I just know the way. I just think I can better imagine now how they would fill out these details, how the conversations would go. You have a greater sense of the potential of what's like what they yes, could do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. So take note, by the way, using this example as we talked about how Amon and Nerys and these things can be parallels to things that have yet to happen in the main story. What happens? When after this trial by combat that we're waiting to see from Cersei, what's going to happen as a result of someone fighting the mountain, the undead mountain and most likely losing, at least in the short term. Nina is confidently on team. Daron was definitely the son of Aegon and Nerys and Aemon and Nerys not hook up. I agree with that. I think their personalities, their beliefs, their dispositions like Nerys doesn't seem like she wanted to hook up with anyone, let alone her brother or her other brother. She wanted to be a Septa. Now, maybe again, that's partly because she wanted to be a Septa, partly because the alternative was marrying her awful brother. And like, she didn't really have, there wasn't an option C. It was that maybe she wouldn't have been so interested in being a Septa if she wasn't faced with marrying Aegon. But maybe she would have been. There's a lot of reasons. I don't know that we need to go through all of them. uh, We feel the way we feel. You all can feel the way you feel. Can I say what the poll's at? Yeah. It's been 20 minutes. There's 34 votes. It's 38% yes, things were romantic. 38% no, things were not romantic. 24% unsure. Dead heat. Dead wow. heat. Dead yeah. heat. Exactly even right now. The poll, when I posted the original poll, it started off with they didn't hook up and then it switched over time to they did, which is that. Well, to be clear, the question of whether it was is romantic or not is different from whether they ever hooked up. Oh, I, I phrased it as romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to be, yeah, just make that clear that you could no, think yeah. they were romantic, but they never were physical. And you could, and I, I guess okay. technically you could think that they weren't romantic and were physical, but that seems unlikely. Well, I compared it to <laughs> Jamie and Cersei's, that implies that it was physical. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, not with Loris and Marjorie. <laughs> I think, by the way, there's a, a decent, if not strong chance that it was romantic, but I think it's a low, weak, unprobable chance that it was yeah. physically intimate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, I mean... I agree with that, except for like, well, maybe they kissed one time or something, but probably not even right, that. Yeah. But like physical, like, like maybe one that, time yeah. they, they guess teenagers. Eat. I don't know. I'll leave that room open for it. But I don't think that they slept together. And I certainly don't think that they had bastards together. Yeah. <laughs> Illegitimate kids. Yeah, right. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think he was probably chased. But it's easy to say that she could have been an exception. Who, like he, get, who yes, was he chased by? <laughs> By who? Yeah, who was chasing him? By vipers in his dreams. Yeah. His, his own brother. You know, he has demons. His duty, his sense of duty, <laughs> chasing him through. Yeah. One person who claims to believe Eamon was the father of Daron is Arian Martell, but I don't know if she really believes it. She's just trying to get under Aries Hokart's skin about Kingsguard and vows and trying, she's trying to get him to break his vows. So she's like, yeah, Kingsguard break their vows all the time. Even the Dragon Knight broke his, like, if you can convince him that even the Dragon Knight broke his vows, then it would make it easier for him to break his own. He didn't agree with her, but he still did go ahead and break his vows because, you know, <laughs> Arianne's naked body was more effective than <laughs> anecdotes about the, <laughs> the Dragon Knight. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> also, we teased this way at the beginning of part one. I'll take Nina's lead on this. It's very evident George is inspired here by the stories of Lancelot and Guinevere as the perfect knight and the queen who supposedly engaged in a clandestine love affair. Even the name Morgil, similar to Mordred, who is the, like the main villain of, of a lot of the Arthurian legends. And he's, in fact, Mordred is the one that reveals Guinevere's infidelity in the Arthurian legends. So it's, there's no way George wasn't at least thinking of that a little bit. The influence is pretty clear once you look at it. 
Nina's continues. So I tend to doubt that we'll get a firm answer from the author because even in Arthurian legends, it's never, it's always, it's left as an open question. The actual answer of Daron's biological parentage, in other words, doesn't matter as much as the author's exploration of these themes of love, duty, and chivalric romance. It's not about learning the objective truth. It's about reflecting on how the situation shaped and was shaped in turn by the sort of characters these individuals were. Very well said, Nina. I really like that. And I very much agree. She continues though. The Morgul Haystwick accusation also demonstrates how short-sighted Aegon's attempts to antagonize his brother and sister were, even if anyone believed the accusation. And I could see many people looking askance at the idea that the notably pious queen and her venerable Kingsguard brother had an affair. Like, they were so, Aegon, Aemon was so popular. Like, people don't want to believe ill of people who are popular. That's kind of how it goes. If you like someone, it's harder to accept bad news about them. Like, we're all like, if your enemy, if you hear something like gossip about someone you hate, you're like more willing to believe. It's like a feedback loop of belief. You're like, oh yeah, of course they would do that. And then now your belief about them is even worse because you've just believed something even worse about them. And that will fuel your belief about future things about them. (laughs) Because you're like, oh, that's the same person that did this other thing that you believed without much evidence. Maybe even been true, but again, you would scrutinize it more if it was someone like Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, the beloved legendary warrior who rescued Baylor from the Vipers and all this other stuff. I mean, he gets a lot of benefit of the doubt, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's yeah. part of why I asked the question earlier, are we giving him too much benefit of the doubt? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. So there was no precedent in Targaryen royal history for any of this stuff either. Like when has a queen ever been accused of adultery? Cersei has, but that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> of course, and now Marjorie as well. <laughs> so it hadn't happened in the Targaryen era until, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, which isn't the Targaryen era, but Do you, I guess, same difference. I guess... Rainey's wasn't a Rainey's as an Aegon the Conqueror's wife. Rainey's wasn't accused of infidelity. It was a rumor. But it was a rumor. Yeah. You know, it never. Um, like, I don't know how much it was like after his death, even. But that, that's the first person I think of is technically that that's those to swirl around about her. There's also the possibility that those rumors were started by Visenya in yeah. order to you know yeah. get Magor on the throne because she certainly helped with that. But that's also in the story. examples <laughs> in the examples of Cersei and Marjorie, which we can be way more certain about. One's true and one's not. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, 50, 50, uh, <laughs> true, true. No, true, not true. True and not true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Night of Tears. That thing that we introduced at the beginning, the thing that Nina is currently writing about on her blog. That's what I have every night. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm just, uh, <laughs> this is night with a K. <laughs> Very emo. This. Remember when we had our question about what music... Aemon the Dragon Knight would listen to. Well, this fuels a lot of those questions because the Night of, Tear- Night of Tears is Aemon the Dragon Knight. This is his alter ego in a tournament. So when Mira... This is the poison. Every rose has its thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Good one. When Mira and Jojen are telling Bran the Night of the Laughing Tree story, this part comes up, quote. But late on the afternoon of that second day, as the shadows grew long, a mystery night appeared in the lists. Bran nodded sagely. Mystery knights would oft appear at tourneys with helms concealing their faces and shields that were either blank or bore some strange device. Sometimes they were famous champions in disguise. The dragon knight once won a tournament as the Knight of Tears, so he could name his sister the Queen of Love and Beauty and place as the king's mistress. Embarrassing the Bold twice donned a mystery knight's armor, the first time when he was only 10. 
Yeah, I love that. Brand nodded sage. He's like, yes, of course, a mystery night. Yes, that oh. makes perfect. Yeah. <laughs> He's yes. like, I, I expected that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, a mystery night. Yes, that is an element of the story that fits here. Yes, mm. yes. He's heard so many stories. Funny how just... He won the tourney. Like, yeah, he just glad. Like, yeah, he just entered and won. Like, you wonder if people just pretended to know it wasn't. He was like, Amen, is that you? Like, who else is just this good? You know, <laughs> just beating everyone. He's like, ah, I recognize that the way he sits his horse, you know. I thought about that quite a bit, actually, that it almost certainly was known by most people. But how does the Lord Commander I, 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 Kingsguard like, sneak off to be like, it's one thing. Yeah, <laughs> especially with the, the way that it seems to be sort of a standard occurrence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, yeah, some combination of there would have been enough knights that would have recognized his build or his style or something. And there would have been a yeah. few people that would have just known because they had to help put the armor on. Yeah, he didn't dress himself. Ready or right. whatever, yeah. So <laughs> he had to get the armor from people, someone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they probably kind of have to play along even though they know, you know, and there's a lot of sort of like public secrets that people know, even in the real world that you just kind of go along with. You know, I don't know, Santa Claus, for example, yeah. just off the top of my head, something. We always what? go, go along default with. to Santa Claus. <laughs> Sean, what are you talking I mean, about? Uh... <laughs> we have a long history of bashing Santa Claus on the show. <laughs> oh, okay. As long as you you know he's real, I just wanted to be clear on yeah, that. Okay. I, I didn't mean Santa Claus. I just meant that Buddy is not really an elf. Oh. But we, for the sake, we just pretend like he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's real. He's not really an elf. Yeah, that's kind of funny to imagine. It's like, hey, man, is that you? Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Especially if his like theme music is playing as he's like his walk up music. Yeah, that's that's his emo style. Everybody knows he likes that song. Yeah, and you wonder like, how did this go down? Because the night of laughing tree got a, just, like ran escaped and we we're just left to guess. Pretty sure it's Liana, but we don't know for sure. It could have been Howlin' Reed, maybe, other, maybe a third possibility. But in this case, apparently it was revealed. But under what circumstances? Maybe Aegon, the king is like, who are you to name my queen the night, night of love and beauty? Maybe one of his lick spittles whispered in his ear. He's like, I bet that's your brother. You know, you need to, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe he figured it out himself. I don't know. If he ever spoke. He may have like, revealed it himself. Yeah. Names? Yeah. After he won, be... he's like, it's it's his eye, Eamon. You know? <laughs> they're like, oh. it's like, yeah, we knew. You know, like, they're like fake <laughs> shock. Like, you know, oh. gasp. Oh my God, Eamon. The timing of this, too, we don't know when this happened, and that could add a bit to the story. Nina writes, it's interesting to speculate when the Night of Tears event may have occurred. Brand only notes when remembering the story that Eamon disguised himself as this mystery night to prevent the king's mistress from being crowned queen of love and beauty. So that must have happened before, and he's like, I'm trying to prevent this from happening again? Unless he just predicted Mm. it would happen and was just trying to prevent it from happening ahead of time, but I feel like it probably had happened. He's trying to prevent a repeat occurrence. That seems a little more likely to me. Anyway, Nina says, if this event involved a mistress, Aegon took while he was king, and assuming this was not one of his many unknown minor mistresses, it was probably Barbara Bracken, the same one he was talking talking up and trying to elevate almost to the point of being above Nerys, if not above Nerys, and openly talking about replacing Daron with Aegor. It doesn't necessarily fit with Melissa, because Melissa was popular and well-liked. He could have named her Queen of Love and Beauty. That fits. But Eamon, like, going out of his way to stop Melissa being named Love and Beauty when she was popular and Nerys liked Melissa and Eamon liked Melissa doesn't fit as well to try to undermine that. It could have been one of the other ones, but the later mistresses, this is when Aegon was less likely to be holding tournaments. His weight was out of control. He had trouble walking around. And so Barba, I think, by far is the most likely one for this to have happened under. 
especially given these other details. Sometime in the range of 171 to, or 172 to 175 range, because Barba was gone by 175. I'm also going to headcanon that in the final round of the tournament, that the Knight of Tears and Krieg and Stark unhorsed each other and <laughs> dueled it out. Oh, and Krieg uh, figured out who he was dueling. And that's why it doesn't appear anywhere else because it's not known publicly that that's who, when that duel happens. So another possibility is Bethany Bracken, who is the lover that came along later, the one that even bigger scandal developed around was Terrence Toyne, which we'll get to shortly. Bethany was Barbara's younger sister. The Brackens tried to make their move again and get back into the good graces of the king by foisting Bethany, who was like, I don't know, a younger version of Barba. And Aegon was like, oh, yeah, I'm into her and and took brought her back. And but it went bad. She's the other strong candidate. I think Nina actually favors Bethany as the candidate. I kind of lean a little more towards Barba. But both of them are really if you were writing this, if you're making it for TV, it would be one of these Brackens because of the level of drama it would in, it would create. And also because it's the opposite of the Terrence Toyne situation, which you're about to describe. It's also just another perfect example of him defending his sister in public, which increases the legend and is another example of Aegon maybe not realizing what he's doing, realizing by trying to push his brother and sister down and shame them, some of his actions actually promote them and make them look brave and, oh, the evil king is doing all these things to them and they're just plugging along, you know, doing their best and being chivalrous and pious and all these other things, and it makes them look good. Part of his problem is he's a a narcissist and doesn't know how people will perceive things. (laughs) He can only understand how things will be perceived about him, and he's not very smart. But yeah, Nana says, and this is a good chance to remind y'all of, this is what she wrote about in her latest blog post, comparing Night of Tears to Night of the Laughing Tree, which is you have in both cases, Eamon and Lyanna sought to make an objective public point. Eamon wanted to prove that Aegon was going too far by naming his mistress rather than his queen in public in front of all these people. And he had a chance to do something about it other than argue. He actually had a chance to step in and do a, perform an action that could actually make a difference. And the same thing happened with the Night of the Laughing Tree, where there was an opportunity to teach those squires a lesson. They weren't disciplined properly for how they treated Howland Reed, how they picked on him and beat on him. So the Knight of the Laughing Tree, probably Lyanna, did this on her own, took matters into her own hands and did exactly the justice that they believed was called for in this moment. Another important moment here, and it's maybe up for debate, does this show a willingness to go against his brother's orders? We know he was willing to stand up to his brother in court, maybe argue against him in some cases. But is this like defying an order? Does this go, this isn't treason, it's a gray area of like whether this is disobedience against your king or not. What do y'all think? We don't know exactly what he was told to not do or do. So there's, it's hard to say, but Nina says she both somewhat agrees and disagrees because maybe it's uh, going against your king, but you do as a chivalric knight, you like Jamie would say, you also have a duty to your family and your sister and the rest of the royal family. So it's a bit of a gray area. Maybe is a little subversive, but I don't think it's direct disobedience. I mean, unless there's something happening we don't know. Like if he told him, like you said, at this next tournament, I'm going to name Mistress X, Queen of Love and Beauty. Like, no, you can't do that. I can do whatever you want. Well, I'll join the tourney and win to stop you. I mean, it's like, I order you to not join the tourney. (laughs) Yeah. And then he did it anyway. Then maybe, but I 
feel that's a pretty almost silly conversation I just made up in order for that scenario. To yeah, exist. you're probably right. It probably didn't happen. Anyway, so possibly even though he lost the trial by combat. Now, remember, part of this trial by combat came up because of Daron and Aegon's disagreements. And he decided to go to war with Dorne, possibly to get one over on his son and his daughter-in-law. I remember his daughter-in-law is Dornish. <laughs> so how, how old is Darren at this point, by the way? This is the year 174. So Darren would be 21. Okay. Definitely an adult, more than an adult by now. And even though he'd lost the trial by combat, which put to rest mostly the talk of Darren being illegitimate, he still wanted to throw this, he still wanted to do what he could to push back against this part of the family he didn't like. And he failed to disown him. So he's like, well, let's invade Dorne. First time for him, but. Not the first time the Targaryens tried to invade Dorne, obviously. There had been several conquests of Dorne under the Iron Throne, some of which were conquests, in quotes, some of which were not, some of which were arguably successful, some of which were only attempts. This one was kind of like the latter two, in which that it was only arguably an attempt. <laughs> there was no, there's no question of it being unsuccessful. <laughs> Zero Dornish men were killed. It could be compared to Prince Morion's invasion from Dorne into the Stormlands around 80 years before, which killed zero Stormlanders. It was kind of the equivalent of that. In both cases, lots of people burned to death. The <laughs> Dornishmen invading were burned by dragons. In this case, the invaders themselves were burned by their own wooden dragons. Aegon's fleet, which that was a smart move to send a fleet because Daron and Oakenfist had shown that a fleet was crucial to successfully conquering Dorne. But the fleet was scattered by a storm and the wooden dragons that shot wildfire worked about as well as you expected them to, which is that they didn't. And he was expecting to drag these through these seven wooden wildfire belching dragons through the Dornish passes. And my guess is that this is really interesting, as comical as it is, is this is another thing that the Targaryens wouldn't have done when they had dragons. They weren't messing with wildfire back when they had dragons. Why would they bother? They had fire-breathing beasts instead of this dangerous substance you got to carry around that's could any second just go off and blow up and you have a hard time controlling it. I mean, dragon fire burns hotter than wildfire, but wildfire is harder to control, ironically, because once it starts burning, it doesn't go out. Whereas dragon flame, once it's on fire, it's pretty much regular fire. Once it's lit stuff on fire, it's just hotter initially. So remember how they were discussed them turning away from the draconic background from their history, from their Valyrian ancestry towards the faith of the seven as a replacement stand-in for the mandate of heaven, right? So they're also, they don't have their magical heritage either as much anymore. So they're turning to things like the pyromancers. You got the faith and the pyromancers. And by the way, that's another thing we wonder about Aemon. When Baylor burned all the books, which would have included a lot of that Targaryen history, a lot of that Valyrian ancestry, a lot of dragon bonding, a lot of books that explain how this stuff works, which is one of the reasons we don't know as well now is because a lot of the, in, the information, a lot of the data, a lot of the how-to books were destroyed by Baylor. Another thing that we're like, I wonder what Eamon thought of that. But he had to do his duty, I guess. I wonder, by the way, how much of Aegon's attempt to attack Dorne by like having people carry wildfire through it. I wonder if there was some part of Aegon that was like, whatever, Baylor walks to that desert barefoot. It's no big deal. Uh, that's a good point, yeah. A, <laughs> it's like, way in his mind to downplay how unrealistic <laughs> of a journey this would be. Yeah. <laughs> this is very likely another big backfiring. So envision this and to see if you can follow my logic here. There's almost no chance Aegon sent Aemon 
with the invasion force. I mean, you might think that's odd. He's like, why wouldn't he send his best warrior? Why wouldn't he? Well, because he's trying to one-up his brother. He want, he doesn't want to conquer Dorne and have his famous brother get all the credit for it, which people would do. People, would, If the conquest of Dorne had succeeded and Aemon had been part of it again, they would have been like, yeah, of course it succeeded. The Dragon Knight was there. He would get the credit. And Aegon, King Aegon sitting back on his throne would not get credit for it. His brother would get the credit. And, he, and Aemon, Aegon would be aware of this. He's not the brightest bulb but he would get this, considering how focused he is on constantly one-upping his brother and being jealous of his brother for being what he's not. The only thing Aegon was good at that his brother wasn't good at was making babies and drinking, I guess. Cruelty, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So this is just quite worked out really well for him. And he's like, I'm not sending you because when this succeeds, I'm not letting you get any credit for it. But since he was not a part of it at all, <laughs> it probably was like, you should have sent Prince Aemon. <laughs> it would have gone better if he sent the yeah. Dragon Knight. So not only could he take no blame, a, but he's like, yeah, could have been blamed for The whole not thing is a damned if you do, damned if you don't for Aegon. Yeah. Just, yeah, she just shouldn't have done it at all in the first <laughs> yeah, place exactly. for a million reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Nina writes, it's this whole thing reeks of Aegon trying to outdo everything about the successful campaigns of Daron and partially successful campaigns of Aegon the Conqueror. You got the, you got the similar approach with Daron uh, with Oaken Fist and an invading army going through the two passes and the fleet, but he had a bigger fleet than, than Oaken Fist tags. Like, oh, I know we'll go bigger. And instead of three dragons, he brings in seven. Of course, they're not real dragons, but yeah. quote unquote yeah. dragons. Anyway, he's just looking at the like blow by blow accounting of the conquest and was like, okay, double that, double that. <laughs> And surely it's all going to work, you know, <laughs> just 10 more of those, 20 more of those, no nuance, no planning, no, just more, just <laughs> adding on top. That's his, that's how he thinks. And of course, he's trying to humiliate his son and his daughter-in-law. And of course, that backfired too, which, you know, what happens when a narcissist gets embarrassed, they just double down, right? They, they, they oh, it wasn't my fault. He blames all the other people. And by the way, hundreds of people burned. Like a lot of the Kingswood went up in flames because of this. So it was quite a disaster. It wasn't just like, oh, the wildfire dragons broke and let's go home. No, it was a huge conflagration. So another, <laughs> like Eamon, another reason he was probably glad to not be there like this. May have been a wandering summer hall before the real summer hall, you know, wildfire on the move. It might have been extra frustrating and even tragic for, uh, for Eamon also, because if he recognized on any level that this was a, quote unquote, a suicide mission, right? it might've been frustrated for him to not be able to mitigate the damages by going yeah. like mm -hmm. it, even I'm willing to die in this battle, but I, hopefully I can at least make the most of it or save some of my people's lives, especially if, you know, what if Aegon sent some of Amon's, you know, allies, friends, students mm -hmm. or whatever. Which he may have done to separate them. That's the kind of thing he would do. Yeah. Cause objectively it's nuts to not send the dragon knight to conquer Dorne when he's already done it. He's been there. Like the mo one of the, probably the most experienced, people that he could have sent <laughs> even if it is quote unquote nuts there's even he has a good justification not to send him like you're a king's guard you need to stay here yeah oh no you're you, right you're you right. need to these women in the maiden vault or you know mm -hmm. like oh my my all oh, my mistresses and my <laughs> bastards you have to stay here yeah keep he's got a good cover him, story for sure it doesn't yeah. look that bad but you know if if he wasn't worried about his ego and protecting his mistresses it would be like yeah of course you send the dragon knight as his reign goes on examples like this become more and more common. His behavior gets worse. His health gets worse. These two things are a negative feedback loop because they, they pile on each other. Too bad his health didn't decline so much that he 
died because he didn't, <laughs> but he kept on siring bastards. He didn't stop doing that. His He managed to stay fertile, unfortunately, as well. Kept on giving away honors, lands, and titles, and even dragon eggs. Like, he would give away dragon eggs to lords to give ac- access to their daughters for the night. And this is a guy who really didn't care about the value of things or about the honor of people or about history or heritage or anything, any of this stuff. And this is partly maybe related to the book burnings and the, the switch of Targaryen cultural distinction away from Valyrian stuff because these items would have been cherished more. These tar- these items that come from their Valyrian cultural background and he's just giving them away because they don't care about them anymore. Well, other people may have cared about, cared about them just because he didn't. And Aemon may have been one of the ones who was like, yeah, we should get rid of this stuff because it's, we're not, you know, we're trying to move away from this Valyrian stuff and that's, it's not of the seven but again, that might be projecting. We don't know what Eamon thought. He may have, you know, some of the mistresses he may have had conversations with, struck up conversations with, maybe he didn't hate. You know, it's hard for him to imagine him liking the Brackens or having much in common with them, but we do know he was a fan of Melissa. If we take stock of where the young kids are in the late 170s, when we're getting kind of close to the end here, we have Baylor Breakspear, Damon Blackfire, Bittersteel, and Bloodraven, all born in this time. They're all between the ages of two and seven. Of course, none of them have those nicknames yet. (laughs) But all of them wanted to be warriors. They were all training, maybe together, or a little bit separately. Who knows? It's not entirely clear. Bittershield may have been back at Stonehenge, whatever. They're all aware of Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. He is the top knight in the kingdom when they're like four years old, five years old. They're all little brands here, right? They're all worshiping, idolizing the best fanciest famous knight in the night really that fancy but he may seem fancy to them at that age that's a big deal but remember we can't just think about bran we've got sansa is just as big a part of this or almost as big a part of this because remember we pointed out at the beginning bran that great quote from bran but we followed it up by the quote from sansa who was also thinking about prince aemon because he his story isn't just about martial deeds it's also about romance and duty and all these other aspects of that fill the pages of many great stories so the young princesses would have noticed him too. Maybe even like Sansa, they would have looked up to him, maybe fantasized about him or dreamt of a husband like him. Dana, of course, had hooked up with Aegon to have Damon Blackfire. Elena may have, young Elena may have wanted to, you know, may have wanted to fantasize about having someone like Aemon the Dragon Knight for her husband, maybe Reyna, although Reyna's more of a septa by a disposition, so she may not have been thinking about husbands at all, but who knows? At some point, Fireball... Quentin Ball was brought on to be master at arms because we're told he's the one that trained the great bastards, although maybe he didn't come on till after Aemon's era. We're not entirely sure, but they may have trained together. Nina says Aegon IV supposedly promised Quentin Ball that he would make him a member of the King's Guard, but it seems unlikely that this promise was made when Aemon was still alive, considering Aeg says Aegon IV died before a place became available. Because, yeah, if that was the case, then Fireball would have maybe taken... Eamon's place when he died. But maybe Fireball wasn't next on the list of people being promised. Either way, he never did get that cloak and it became a problem for him. And it's part of why he joined the Blackfires. Or maybe joined is the wrong word. Let, helped lead the Blackfires might be a better. And on top of that, we have three new princelings. Prince Daron and Princess Mariah had three more sons. Ares, Regil, and Makar. Makar, son of Eamon and Egg. That's a pretty big one. This is even more reason I hope we see an older princess, Elena, in the future Tales of Dunk and Egg, Nina writes. Elena, born in 150, would have been seen and known Prince Aemon in his prime 
And if she really did live to be 70 plus years old, she would be one of the very few people alive at the end of her life, if not the last person alive who would have known Eamon as a living being. Like the last, like she may have been the last person to, she may have been the only person alive when she died that knew Eamon when he was alive, at least close. Like besides like some old dude living, you know, out in the countryside that didn't actually know Eamon, but was alive at the same time as him. I mean, someone that knew him. That would have all, that's important because as great as he was, his legend would have been enhanced by people talking about him, especially family members and carrying that legend on and speaking in speaking of him in terms of, you know, great respect and legend. So let's talk about the case of Terence Toyne, because this led to the end. Terence Toyne was one of the Kingsguard. So he would have been a subordinate to Eamon at this point. Now, King Aegon was personally very handsome when he was young, and that helped him achieve all his bastards by having charm and charisma and the women being attracted to him. But over time, he became quite gross. He got massively overweight, drinking and eating, and wasn't attractive anymore. I got to say, I'm not sure if you can totally put up the charm and charisma. There might have been a power dynamic involved too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. You're totally right. Especially for him. 100%, especially when he was just mingling with the commoners more. The power dynamic would have been really off the charts and still pretty big, even when he was, you know, messing with other noble women because he's a Targaryen and... Yeah, there's, there's always going to be that power dynamic. Even with his sister. I'm like, there's never not going to be the power, <laughs> some sort of power dynamic. There is no equal when you're like a prince or a king or whatever. So recall that Aegon's first prominent noble mistress was Barba, right? Ever since he had moved on from her, the Brackens had schemed to win back that level of influence via Barba's younger sister. So here's the explanation of that and what transpired. Quote, Anthony was groomed by her father and sister expressly to win the king's favor and displace Missy Blackwood. In 177, she caught Aegon's eye as he visited at Stonehenge to see his bastard son, Aegor. By now, the king was fat and foul-tempered, but Bethany delighted him, and he took her back with him to King's Landing. However, Bethany found his royal embraces distressing. For comfort, she turned to a knight of the king's guard, Sir Terence Toyne. The pair was discovered abed by Aegon himself in 178. Oops. Sir Terence was tortured to death, and both Lady Bethany and her father were executed. Lots to unpack there. Poor Bethany, ex- groomed by a groomed is the right word, right? That is exactly what she was done. They totally groomed her to be a lover to a king who was gross and cruel. And it worked until it horribly backfired. You can understand why Bethany was, quote, distressed by his embraces. That's the easiest thing to understand here, probably. Probably quite an understatement, too. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. What's the most tactful way we can do <laughs> <laughs> you? How do you say the king raped her without saying the king raped her? <laughs> yeah. And then it gets worse because she was forced to watch as Terrence was drawn and quartered, basically, like pull, pulled apart limb from limb. And then she was murdered after that, executed then her own father. Terrence was handsome as well, which Aegon may have, this may have added to Aegon's cruelty. And well, the curiosity here is once again, what role did Aemon play here? Anything? Did he know about this relationship with Bethany and Sir Terence? Is it possible? He's the reason Aegon stumbled upon Terence 
and Bethany a bed together? Did he arrange this? Did they accidentally happen? He maybe didn't realize the extent of it, but he was, imagine that he's ashamed of his own brother for doing this. And he does this to get out of it or to draw to a conclusion. I I think maybe he would be a little more upfront about it and accuse the guy in open court, but what's the proof? You know, maybe he needed to show proof. This is like, well, I need them to see proof of it. I need him to, and he didn't necessarily see where it would go from here. I don't know. How does that register with you, Sean? Is that? I I don't know. I've gone back and forth a little bit thinking about it. I like, I I can see that he might have knowledge and about it and motivation to do something. But like you said, who, who does he tell? How does he make people believe him? You might even think though, that like, couldn't he? Why just, wouldn't people believe him? Couldn't he just like on his he, own authority send him to the wall? Be like, I, you're guilty. It was like, who would stop? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think like he could, could have just done. That. But he still would have to explain why he's doing That's it. True. What's and the accusation? At which point? Yeah. It might be. I can't imagine that he is trustworthy enough that if he made this accusation, people would just believe it. Mm. But that might be a little naive. Again, if I'm imagining this television show being made, mm. all the intrigue and conflict and distrust that might be behind all of this and it might not be that simple it still seems one way or the other that he would be aware of the potential extreme reaction Aegon would have that i don't think he would want yeah I, I don't think right because it you know maybe the king was even more extreme than you could have guessed maybe the king even did that to punish amon for it's being one of his this is one of his it's, it's one of his people it's one of your king one of you, these, these king guard are under your control you're command you know you should have been you should have stopped this i don't know another thing to consider here let me add a couple uh, two other little bits of detail here one is that depending on how seriously aegon takes or aemon took his vows he may have really been upset at terence breaking his vows by not being a celibate especially with the king's mistress which is a a pretty big violation on the and bethany's the one who replaced melissa who nerys and aemon himself liked so this this scheming Brackens, who he had already w- helped kick out, he got rid of it. He helped got rid of them. And now they're back. You know, he already was predisposed to want them gone. So he might have done something underhanded here to get them gone again. And it may have worked <laughs> better than he had thought. I don't think he would have shed a tear over their executions, though he probably wouldn't have ordered this such a gruesome death for anyone. But right. That's one of my thoughts is all these things that we consider why Amon might have done it. Yeah. Could be just true of some other Kingsguard or some other person at court. They might have also known, been motivated to tell because they're pious or because they believe in the honor of the Kingsguard, but didn't know how they could say it, where it would be believed. And, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like someone else could have similar motivations and knowledge to Amon. Yeah. And have hinted to the king, you should go to your bedroom right now or something like that. Yeah. And Aegon's probably not just and, walking and, around by himself. He's probably got a Kingsguard with him at all times. So when he walks into this room, yeah. well, the Kingsguard isn't Terrence because <laughs> Terrence is in the room with, <laughs> yeah. with Bethany. So that's only six Kingsguards. So you've, maybe there's even a one in six chance that Aemon was literally with him when this happens. And that yeah. maybe adds a little more to it. He's like, But I, I still have this tendency to think that Aemon would not have wanted the consequences for this to be what they were. I agree, yeah. On the other and hand, this so, is where we ask ourselves, are we being too rosy with our view of him? This is a, yeah. it's a good time to ask to re-ask that question. Yeah. Maybe we're being too, you know, rosy with our view of, of Eamon's personality. Maybe, like you said, maybe this level of extreme violence, maybe that isn't too much for him, given all he's seen and done. 
Except that we don't have another good example of it. That's, That's true. the difference. That's, true. That's why I'm suspicious. Yeah, know? I agree. I agree. There's, I, I tend to agree with you that he would not have been okay with this extremely violent execution, but he might have still been okay with an execution since this guy violated his duty pretty clearly and doesn't belong to wear the white clothes. Maybe he would have been like, send him to the wall. But like, look right. what they did. That's what I would expect him to do. With a gelding, like do. they did to Luca more strong. That's, yeah. And in fact, that had been only 60, no, more than 60, 80 years in the past. So it still would have been remembered. I mean, people still remember Luca more strong in a song of ice and fire, which is way later. So maybe that's what Eamon would have expected the consequences to be. Like Bethany gets kicked out. Maybe she's executed and, and Terrence is sent to the wall. And maybe that was his expectation. If so, maybe that was naive because his brother is a lot more vindictive and narcissistic than that. Anyway, it's a very interesting open question. Again, another one is if this is ever on screen or on book, in book form, fleshed out, a lot of different ways they could do it. A lot of, and yeah. a lot of interesting yeah. ways for them to do it. A lot of compelling ways for them to do it. And I would love to see that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless they choose badly. <laughs> so which options <laughs> to do it? <laughs> Eris Okart as well, Nina points out, Eris Okart internally acknowledges that Boris Blunt was no stranger to the Street of Silk, and Sir Preston Greenfield used to call it a certain draper's house whenever the draper was away. <laughs> and Barristan knew Prince Lewin Martel kept a paramour. He was in the King's Guard. There may be sort of a don't ask, don't tell attitude among Kingsguard. Like if you need, you know, yes, we're supposed to be celibate, but I get it if you don't need it. Kind of like the, the Night's Watch has Molestown. Eamon may have been one of them, not like as in going to do that himself, because I kind of doubt that, but he may have been part of that brotherhood and understood that, yeah, look, just keep it under wraps. Don't sleep with anyone important. You know, just don't have kids. Otherwise, and I'll turn a blind eye. But maybe Eamon was hardcore. He's like, no, absolutely. We do letter of the law, duty. Any sleeping around is, is completely off the table. We don't know. Either way, at some point after this, probably sooner rather than later, but no later than the year 183, but probably closer to the year 178 when this, the toying thing happened. It was revenge. And that's why I think it was closer rather than later. Yes, revenge is a dish best served cold, but this appears to be a case of blood running hot. So it probably happened relatively soon after, which is the Toynes decided that what happened to their brother was too much. And they planned some kind of ambush. It's possible that King Aegon like took away their land as well. So they had even more incentive, but there's nothing of that mentioned. So they ended up with no land after this. One way or another, either, either before or after this incident, they ceased to be a chartered house in Westeros, though they still exist maybe to this day, although maybe not. We'll see. So here's what happened. Some sort of ambush. It sort of reminds us of what might happen with the Kettle Blacks. It reminds Jamie of that too, because he mentions them here in this anecdote while mentioning Sir Osmond Kettleblack in particular. Quote, I don't think it would be proper for me to slay mine own sworn brother. What I need to do is guilt him and send him to the wall. That's what they did with Flukamore the Lusty. Sir Osmond may not take kindly to the gelding, to be sure. And there are his brothers to consider. Brothers can be dangerous. After Aegon the Unworthy put Sir Torrance Toyne to death for sleeping with his mistress, Toyne's brothers did their best to kill him. Their best was not quite good enough, thanks to the Dragon Knight, but it was not for want of trying. It is written down in the White Book, all of it, save what to do with Cersei. <laughs> Let's not forget the Toynes appeared in a few other interesting places, such as in the Kingswood Brotherhood, led by Simon Toyne, and Miles Toyne, a.k.a. Blackheart, who was Captain General of the Golden Company before Homeless Harry Strickland. So only one 
Captain General ago. So the reverse of what happened with Daron the first happened here, where the king died and Aemon survived. This time, Aemon died and the king survived. Certainly a worthy death, even though it was his unworthy brother. It's a real conundrum of sorts for the Kingsguard. It would have been, like, if you're a Kingsguard in this spot, especially a dutiful Kingsguard who takes his job really seriously like we think Aemon seems to do, it would have been unthinkable for him to lose a fifth king. A fifth. <laughs> like that's, even though the first one was tuberculosis, you can maybe write that one off. That's still four kings. This guy is not yet 50, Aemon, and doesn't make it to 50 because he dies in this ambush. On the other hand, the realm like Tywin being like, yeah, if the king dies, we get Rhaegar as king. That's, that seems like an improvement, right, guys? The realm would have been better off with Daron the second ascending sooner. He did ascend, and it was pretty good, but hence his name, Daron the Good. But it would have been better if it had happened sooner, because it would have avoided <laughs> Aegon giving black fire to Daemon Waters and <laughs> some other things like that. And Nina wonders, too, what's going on in his head? Maybe it's just all happening so fast that he has no time for conscious thought. But it would be real interesting and cinematic if it was his final moments and you're going like his life is flashing before him and you're trying to write it like as amazingly as possible and, and slow it down to make it really dramatic. Nina says, I wonder whether Eamon was perhaps less careful than he might have been in fighting the Toins when it eventually killed him because this was the death he, in a strange way, may have wanted to have. He had watched four kings die without being able to stop any of them when doing so. For a man who seems to have taken the vows of the King's Guard, this may have seemed like a bitter record to him, a mark of failure. Like, yeah, he's remembered as a legend, but he might not have seen himself that way during his own life, given what a King's Guard is supposed to do and what his bottom line record was, which is lots of kings died under his watch. On top of that, Eamon may have wondered how long he would have been able to stay in his physical prime. It's certainly not impossible for Westerosi Knights to remain deadly into their older ages. I mean, look at Barristan. But Eamon may have lost a step. He's in his mid-40s, probably not as quick and may, maybe as strong, but not as, doesn't, wouldn't have the stamina necessarily he used to have, probably not the quickness. Makes up for some of that with wisdom and experience, but well, yeah, I mean, age does take a toll. So how many more years can he go like this? Maybe he would have preferred to die when he was still at his relatively top form rather than you know, aging down and dying more ignominably. Like, you want, when you're a warrior, you're going to understand wanting to die with a sword in hand. I mean, intellectually, you can understand that. Maybe not like, yeah, I want to too. No, I, I don't. I'm more like Tyrion <laughs> for what I want out of my I want to die with a sword in my hand in bed with a <laughs> the wine sweet drink the... at 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring me a sword before I die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you can go to Valhalla, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like Sirio Pharrell. Consider like, why didn't he run away? Because he kind of liked the death he wanted. He wanted to die with sword in hand. He didn't want to run away. And you could see maybe his decline in, in the near future was like, well, this is, this is as good a time as any. It's, it's maybe hard to wrap your head around that, but it's not unrealistic. You know, it may seem unrealistic, but there's a lot of people who think like that. Maybe less these days, maybe not in our social circles, but it's a realistic mm -hmm. mindset, philosophy, life philosophy for a person of, of great duty who lives a life of martial valor and has expected to die with sword in hand their whole life. And not just, and not just they tell themselves that they like really deeply, sincerely believe that. Worth noting also, just to add on to all that, like that's, there's a reason the King's guard isn't supposed to have a family or lands. Like there's not some other thing he's worried about. My, I got to take care of my kids or yeah. my wife will never forgive me or something like that. Which is interesting to consider with him because his sister was the queen. So he did care. He did have that. He did, you know, he, he needed to be around yeah. maybe to protect her 
and maybe his cousins and his nephews or whatever, but they weren't children of his own body unless, unless the rumors are true. <laughs> and which I don't think any of the three of us believe that, though. So King Aegon predictably did not mourn his brother, despite the dude dying to save him. I mean, what a jerk. Unworthy truly is an understatement. I mean, this guy is just all the ways he can disappoint you. <laughs> he does. He also predictably went right back to sleeping with Nerys, or rather, he probably never stopped, even though he had all those mistresses. Nerys became pregnant once more, and this time she did die in childbirth about a year later. And she was probably weaker because of the grief of her brother dying for their unworthy brother. Like, that didn't help her health situation. That couldn't have made her feel better, certainly. So she was probably weaker than ever. Let's finish in a manner that serves to bookend how we began, which is how he fits into A Song of Ice and Fire. We started by quoting very early on examples of young characters, which is important that they're young characters because it shows how even this current generation still worships his memory and thinks of him as one of the greatest of all time. Makar, as in father of Aemon, Maester Aemon, and Egg and Arion and Daron the Drunkard. Makar may have been born after Aemon died. There's a, a range of when Makar was born, we're not sure. But more likely, Makar was about two or three years old. So he was, may have been at a very influential age when the family lost Aemon to his heroic death. 20 years later-ish is when Maester Aemon will be born. Not yet a maester, obviously. He comes out wearing the chain. <laughs> Talk about born to be a maester, literally. But make so Makar, 20 years later, roughly after his death, will name his son Amon. So not that long, maybe like 18 years, not, not even clear, clear. Damon Blackfire will be called, quote, another dragon knight by some. And Aegon may have been eager to have a son of his, to overshadow his brother. He may have liked that talk and be like, yeah, if I can't best my own brother, maybe one of my sons will. And that may have been why he gave him Blackfire at such a young age, mm. at age 12. And of course, his name is similar to Damon, Eamon. And, and Damon Blackfire is the great-grandson of Prince Damon, writer of Caraxes. I wonder how much cause and effect there is there also. Like, I wonder if at 12, he was just a kid. He wasn't some amazing, great prodigy warrior. But once his dad gave him that sword, like... He felt he had to live up to it. People around him trained him better. Maybe a little of both, but he, he got the tournament. Yeah. He got the sword after winning a tournament, a Squires tournament. So okay. he did show okay, some enough. skill, yeah. But it will be a little interesting like competition between him and Baylor Breakspear as youngsters because they were born a year apart. So they're really close in age and, and Baylor will beat him in another tournament like a little later. And that's, yeah, so that back and forth until they're older. But both Baylor, we know Baylor's personality. Damon Blackfire was very chivalrous too. Very chivalrous, very noble, very honored, despite being a rebel, right? He was well-regarded, and it's part of why he was such a popular rebel. That's <laughs> part of why so many people joined him. He had that Renly thing going where everybody liked him, except Renly wasn't good at fighting. It's like, is he take Renly's popularity and merge it with any of the best fighters you can think of, and that's Damon Blackfire. And the reason I'm veering off to talk about Damon is that Damon, again, born in the shadow of Aemon the Dragonite. This chivalry, this personality, very likely to have been partly or greatly influenced by Aemon the Dragonite. That's the guy he was trying to be like. Right down to wielding of Lyrian Steel Blade, the other great Targaryen sword. <laughs> but whereas Aemon was content and quite dutiful to be a supporting member of the family, Damon was talked into trying to take over. And Damon, what does he name his first two sons, his twin sons? Aegon and Aemon. 
<laughs> His two twin sons mm-hmm. killed on the red grass field by the arrows of Blood Raven and the Raven's teeth. So after hearing all that, all the stories, everything we've said about it, it's no wonder he comes up so much in A Song of Ice and Fire, huh? I mean, there's just so many things that, that he embodies about Westerosi values, even when people don't actually live up to those things. Even some of, some of these things are just things people say they believe, but don't actually even try to live up to. The kind of thing that Sandor Clegane, if he was confronted with Aemon the Dragon Knight, he might be like, what do I say about this guy? This guy kind of breaks the mold of my cynicism. <laughs> Maybe. If the stories are accurate. Yeah. An extremely well-rounded character, despite the substantial missing elements. Family drama, romantic tragedy, suffering, cruelty, great success in war, incredible self-sacrifice on multiple occasions, someone who has actually chose duty over love, probably. In world, he was unparalleled. Even those few who may be his equal in combat or honor were not Targaryens, or, you know, unless you want to consider Damon a Targaryen, he was a Blackfire. There's no substitute for that when building a legend just being the best or being thought of as the best. All the qualities he possessed that made everyone else seem unworthy, especially his brother, Hale. <laughs> Our deep dive shows that he was far from perfect and possessed some of the qualities we see repeatedly among those seen at the pinnacle of Westerosi honored. Some of the things that our world doesn't agree with, like valuing honor over justice or valuing obedience over decency or valuing men over women, things like that. Like we don't, in the modern world, I hope we don't agree with that. Oaths over ethics, I think, is another one. Like, they think an oath is more important than just being a good person, which I disagree with that. <laughs> I think ethics trump any oath you may have made. You shouldn't do bad things just because you took a vow to not do that. I don't know. But overall, it's pretty hard to find flaw with how Eamon lived his life, especially given the context and setting. It's not a new topic for us to criticize the small bit while still looking at the whole and saying, yes, that's the truth. The overall, you know, this is, there's so much in the good column and so little in the bad column. But again, we ask ourselves as we leave this, did we fall for the legend too? Was he actually maybe not so great? Hmm. And does the story of Aemon and Ares tell us anything more about what's coming for Cersei and Jaime and or Marjorie and Loras? Any other parallels? Nina says, I don't particularly think so, except as another exploration of some of the same themes the author explores with these characters. George likes to test many of his characters with the same challenges, especially the very central conflict of duty versus love. Nerys and Aemon face something of the same dilemma Jamie and Cersei do, the Kingsguard knight, his sister queen, her lecherous royal husband, but end up in a much different situ- position. The realm is different, even though Wester- Westeros is sort of stuck in a lack of development loop. There's still a lot of traditional cultural things that are different and things happening around the realm that are very different from when you compare Jamie and Cersei to Aemon and Nerys, despite how many things they have in common. Nina continues here to say, Nerys and Aemon probably didn't have a sexual relationship as Jamie and Cersei did. Darren was almost certainly the king's own son, unlike Cersei's children, which <laughs> they're not Robert's children. And Aegon outlived both the brother who died for him and his queen instead of Robert being killed thanks in part to Cersei's scheme. So that's another big difference is that the Jamie in this scenario, died first <laughs> in, Aemon's, in Aemon's version. Whereas Robert died, the Aegon died first in A Song of Ice and Fire and all his bastards still out there and that caused sort of the Blackfire Rebellion-ish situation to happen at the same time rather than a, a delay of those things for 10 more years while more bastards were born. <laughs> or maybe not 10 years, but yeah, anyway, a while. 
it is interesting to think about how things might have gone down if Robert did live 10 more years. Yeah. How much more drunk and removed from reality he might have got, how much more problematic all the bastards would have been, you know, maybe, you know, but maybe Cersei did a good thing by <laughs> driving him to his death. He would have been a psych- Whatever her motivations were, whatever the bad things she might have done. Yeah, but- right. <laughs> so as we've touched on a bit off and on throughout this, these two episodes, this era certainly has a lot to offer as a TV show, both stories big and small woven together in a world familiar to us, yet distinct enough from the other sections of the timeline we've seen that it could be just incredible. There are characters to love and hate. There's deaths to be sad about. Plenty of gaps in the record to be filled in, like you said, Sean, with just unexpected things that writers could have to just let loose and and do their own thing with while just sticking to the confines of what's been laid out. In terms of war and action, there'd be some of that, but it wouldn't be the focus. And it would be stripped down. You would have still have heroic deeds and danger and nightly combat. But for one thing, yes, A, it wouldn't be a focus like A Song of Ice and Fire and The Dance of Dragons. There'd be no supernatural elements unlike either. That would be a big difference. There's no others. There's no dragons. There's no whites. I mean, you might have wildfire, but that's not really, that's barely magical. If at you all. might have visions or clairvoyance yeah. or something yes. on that line. You might you have, have that. But, yeah. And you might even somehow that's work that into That's not as battle, exciting but... or fantastic as dragons, but it still would be an intriguing element. Yeah, know? as a way to set them up or a way to predict them or as a way to have expectations for them, which yeah. you could then shatter or undermine through clever writing or yeah. Yeah. The, the, the general nature of prophecies. So given how often he's been mentioned to date and given his life does not fall during the range of fire and blood, but will fall during Blood and Fire, a.k.a. Fire and Blood 2, there will definitely be more to Prince Aemon's story and more res- resonance and connection to A Song of Ice and Fire as well, because he's probably going to get mentioned again. As, as often as he's been mentioned in the other books, he'll probably get mentioned in The Winds of Winter and the Dream of, and a Dream of Spring. Even if it's not a lot, it might be, and it might be some pretty big details, which might lead to more parallels, more personality, and more fun for sure. So he'll be back. So will we with him and other topics. All right, Shea has the poll written out here, the final version of the poll. Looks like 50 live voters here. 40% yes. Okay, so it did turn a little bit, huh, Shea? Yeah, it turned a little bit, but still a lot of 28% unsure. 28% unsure and 31% no. So 40% people think it was romantic. I'm a little surprised. We argued against that, yet most of y'all, well, not most, 40% of y'all. Not most. Yeah. The majority of people who of the, the largest opinion. The plurality, the plurality. but not That's the majority. The, yeah. <laughs> the trivia answer. The question again was, who does Jamie consider half the size, but twice as mad as Gregor Clegane? A great name, considering who our sponsor is, mm-hmm. The Smiling Knight. I bet he had very white teeth, too. <laughs> The and Smiling Knight. Multiple people did guess this time, but the first cool. person and quickest guess was Carl Karsnark. Good job, Carl Karsnark. You got The Smiling Knight first. Well done. And your reward is this shout out that has just happened. The Smiling Knight was, he was part of like a band. The or Kingswood like a, Brotherhood, yeah. That's it, the Kingswood He Brotherhood, was yeah. sort of co-commander to Simon Toyne, who was mentioned briefly in this episode too. That's, but right. that's where yeah. I got the idea from for this trivia question. I was like, Simon Toyne was like, ah, The Smiling Knight. Ooh, The Smiling Knight. We don't know what his real name was. Just The Smiling Knight, whatever his actual name was, is lost. Next week, Trial by Theory, beating out second place Was It Murder and two other topics. Don't forget, you can join in the voting by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. Variety of levels and types of pledges and bonuses you can get from us for your support. And we do appreciate that. 
We also appreciate if you tell your friends about us, spreading the word through word of mouth about us is one of the most effective ways we've found over the years of doing this for 10 plus years. So thank you if you do that. Episodes we mentioned in this one include, if you want to stay immersed and stay in Westeros and keep the story going, the Duskendale episode we mentioned, Defiance of Duskendale, where Ares is uh, rescued by Barristan Selmy. A lot of familiar characters in that one. Some mention of Targaryen dreams as well. Barristan and, and Rhaegar are in that one a lot. Dare on the Young Dragon, of course. A lot of these episodes I mentioned last week because it's the same topic. So the same overlap will be there. Dark Sister, mm -hmm. The Lost Valyrian Steel, Aegon the Unworthy, the whole Blackfire series, The Free City of Lys. You may have listened to some of these this past week when I suggested it, but probably not all of them because that's a lot of episodes. The Blackfire series alone is like nine episodes or 10 episodes. So that's a big spicy meatball. Huh. Some of you may have already listened to it, but maybe it's time for a re-listen, my friends. Either way, we'll be back next week with more. Thanks to any of you who have signed up to subscribe. Thanks to Nina for her very valuable notes as like usual. To say two things. Yeah. One, please, if now that the episode's over, go check out Michael's movie. Just your reminder again. Yes. To, to look up that link. And two, uh, speaking of being recognized, really weird. If you were the person that recognized us at Big Gigantic... <laughs> on Saturday night, stop lurking and come say hi. You live in Atlanta and you go to EDM shows. I wish I saw you again. It yeah, was very we, random. We went to a big gigantic last night. And as soon as we got there, someone recognized us. And it's not like we get recognized a lot. So it's a pretty, it's, it's happened maybe once, like three or four times a year, <laughs> maybe at most. Then, and that almost counts conventions. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this was just a concert. So I'm like, you know, I love going to EDM shows. You know, if you live in the area and you go, you know, hit me up. Yeah. Just saying. Or hit me up. You can hit either of us up. Or hit no, us up. I, you don't want to hit no, Aziz up. Don't hit me up. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm boring. Do you want to get a cat? Is it too late, Sean? Someone did ask for the cat. I'll run and get run it and get if you cat. can stretch out the ending long enough. You, you can run and get the cat. I think it's worth it. If it I, my standard is that sometimes I let Sean get away without showing us the cat. But if someone explicitly asks in the chat, I'm like, let's do it. Maybe it's a little but, more special if we don't do it every time. Yeah. Too, you know? We did Go it every day, time when they were day. kittens because like, they were growing. <laughs> Thanks as well to Joey, Jesse, and Bran for our ver various musical intros and just music, depending. Very yeah. helpful, very wonderful to have that from our friends to make our show better. You shout course, out to Bran in particular, who, you know, if you could commission, you could hire. He is true. doing this as his job. Oh, there's a kitty. But yeah, you absolutely could. He just did a really cool ad for Pathwater, the water bottle company. Yeah. So extra shout out to him this week. Oh, look at that cat. So sweet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. there like we go. Got a kitty. Look at the long episode we got. Almost two hours, 46 minutes. And we got, I hear one of our cats in the background meowing yeah. at us, but <laughs> our microphones aren't picking that up. Meow. Cats everywhere, folks. We do love our cats. Yeah. So yeah, check out Michael Clarfield's movie, like Ashea said. We'll put links all over or just search for Michael Clarfeld, K-L-A-R-F-E-L-D. Mm -hmm. You'll not only find the movie probably, but his website, claradocs.de, where you can find this map and many others that are cool like it. So yes. from all of us at History of Westeros, both human and feline, until next time, you know what to do. Valar, re-read us. <laughs>